0: Well hi everybody, welcome to Feel Lounge. I'm your host Bill Little and it is the uh tenth of February twenty twenty two. Twenty twenty-two. Am I the only person who just you know twenty twenty two I don't understand. Uh I know um there's a disturbing trend that I've noticed and uh And it seems to be accelerating. Um, Have you noticed how, um, like, movie and TV stars are getting really old, and comedians and musicians—just how old they're they're getting? What's what's up with that? Uh, I don't um, I don't understand. Uh, I have a theory, and I realized the other day. had this thought every now and then when I was a kid I went to uh, went to um, Thanksgiving at my aunt Marty's house and there would be you know 60 70 people there and the first times I went that I was aware of I was like the little little kid you know and then I got to be like the teenager kid and stuff but there are always two or three generations ahead of me And then got to the point when it was like, oh, it's mom and dad and my Aunt Marty and my Uncle Rock and you know, and and then me. Uh, I was kind of on deck for a while. And then uh, now I realize my mom and my dad are gone. I'm probably like, you know what I mean? I'm I'm like, it's like you're up. It tends to focus the mind a little bit. so, uh, I don't know. taps 5556 says, boomers won't leave. No, we won't. We're staying until until they get this thing sorted out. So, anyway, I uh, I guess I better get going in terms of the work uh, that's still left to be done. I've been batting around back and forth uh, for the last hour or two whether or not I should run that animation test again. And I'm going to because I just feel like it. I wasn't going to and now I'm going to. Um, and uh, the reason I did was because I put in um, one extra shot and also I could use some opinions although this is not going to be a pleasant experience pour moi so um here we go I'm gonna I'm gonna just do it one more time oh and uh, by the way I did open uh, my second channel I haven't really linked to it yet or announced it yet I was trying to figure out what to call it I called it um, um, what did I call it pop culture channel Two T to see uh, see what I did there and I just didn't feel branded to me so at least temporarily I've decided to call the second channel uh, the stratosphere studio I thought that had kind of a nice ring to it and uh, more and more it looks like um, probably what uh, I'll end up doing is doing uh, another I'll do a stratosphere lounge show and then i'll probably do a stratosphere studio show live which would be um pretty much exclusively about the you know pop culture stuff and uh and there was Stratos Studio. Mm. it's got a nice ring to it um so uh yeah so i'll send a link out um as soon as i have something to post out what well, reason i haven't posted anything yet is because i kind of want to post them in order so that the um well, all the science fiction stuff that I really did first, I'm not going to even start to post yet. I'm going to start with the uh d s for dungeon stuff um but I want to get the like the the very first test renders and put them up in sequence so people can see how it how it built. i probably just put that together into one thing and just narrate it I think, so people can see how much uh how much um you know what what I did to fix the problem so I'm gonna do one more time Uh, so um, to play the uh, the fight animation I added an animation I realized when I played it last week that um, that I had an animation of Zoe getting knocked down but I didn't actually render the the can't just end with Zoe getting knocked down Zoe got up and kicked this guy's butt and I didn't I just skipped it just went on to the next shot so after Zoe gets uh, uh, knocked down on this one he gets his revenge And then the last 23 seconds of this that you're about to see is uh zoe and me talking uh there's no there's no audio uh but i think zoe's face looks really close i i can't mine mine is close enough to suggest it's me i don't i can't i can't it just doesn't look nearly as close to me as Zoe's does so if you see something um, maybe you can um, you know let me know. All right here we go uh, and I'll just leave the mic on and whatever narration needs to be done I'll get down here we go. So again these are the animation tests for the scenes that are coming up. So if we can find ourselves some support to get this thing going then uh, we can um, we can just pull these things out and drag and drop them and I have a big announcement about the animation soon as I'm done with this so brace yourselves here we go so in the in the pitch it basically says well first they meet uh, some uh, some new enemies or guards or something like that the only I gotta tell you the problem is these these two outfits look so good in white light and I don't think there's a single moment in the entire script where you get to see them look this good because you get to see all the blues and the colors and most everything's in torchlight or something else come on baby so um uh, boy slowed that one down a little it was just too fast he yep that's that's good Okay, here comes the one. So this one, uh, last time I showed it to you, I had him getting knocked down, but I didn't have his uh, his re- his revenge, which is right here. <coughs> oh, that's, that's going to hurt. I don't know why that shot, this shot took me four hours. I don't know why. <coughs> Slowed that one down a little, too. Okay, so here we are, um, badly lit, but... Uh, I mean the somebody has said maybe it's a haircut for me. it's a Viking haircut, but I know for a certain fact that if I put a, a more normal haircut on there, then it would look more like me, but you don't have the face quite right yet it's it's kind of close, but it's not it's not quite there. A Zo looks more like this i mean the animated Zo looks more like Zo than Zo does you know so um anyway uh so that Merlin uh, said I need blood on the sword after stabbing yeah you know what well first of all it's a it's a um, uh, the whole purpose is it's a it's a it's a rendering test but I did think about when when it comes time to actually put that in instead of blood I think what I'll do is have like a puff of dust puff of dust that'd be cool all right Um, so anyway uh, yeah, so that's great. So here's the uh, big uh, animation news, then we're going to get back into woodchipper mode and knock these questions down and keep this one shorter. We didn't the last two have been three or something, three hours. Um, oh, that's Sweetie B. John. Thank you. Uh, so um, I've been waiting and waiting, 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 waiting. Uh, for. I've got You can see a motion capture suit there. That's a neuron suit. Um it's originally the neuron suit was originally, i don't want to speak ill of neuron but originally it was designed to have straps it would the sensors would go would just get strapped onto your body it wasn't actually in a suit and then i decided to get uh the suit which is a neuron suit and attach the straps to that i thought it'd be easier to get in and out of it's not um it is uh it's 35 40 minutes to get into that thing and the data was was a little was a little fuzzy um mostly the big problem was on that on the um neuron suit now they've got newer versions of this I'm not I'm just telling you this is what I bought three years ago or two years ago so on the gloves on the neuron suit there's like sensor here and a sensor here and a sensor here and a sensor here here and here and here and here and there are wires and they're all done with velcro and anytime you go to move anything the velcro sticks to something else and pulls it off and they're never aligned correctly and then the reason i decided to go with rococo was because i saw the the demo of their smart gloves this guy just put the gloves on and they just plug into the suit all the all the sensors are internal and you see this guy you know doing this and and the fingers are perfect so um uh Broke college student wants to know. Broke college student wants to know what's likelihood of, that your suit will end up in the hands of a train robber. I'm hoping it's zero because they're airmailing it, but three month lag time on the Rococo suit. And when I first heard that, I said, Ah, oh, screw it. And then I waited two months, and then I thought, I could have had it by now. So I did get it, uh, and I've been waiting. And I think I told you it was supposed to be here first half of January, and they pushed it back to the second half of February. But uh, when I woke up today, I got the email I've been waiting for for a long time, and that is it's on its way. Um, So it's got a clear customs, but it is coming DHL, so I should see it, should certainly see it by the end of next week. I'm thinking if I'm lucky, I might get it by the early part of the week. But that, (laughs) if that's not a game changer, then we're we're really in trouble. Um, But I really do think that with that, like for example, the next shot in this series for the for the pitch for the promo, uh, same same background as you saw with the, just the, the, the flat thing with a checkerboard and a couple of lights, and they go to read the sign on the door. And the door the sign says, uh, "In order to ent- enter this dungeon, thou must be wearing a visor." Signed, Doctor Faustus, Chief Apothecary and Steward of the Realm so I got a great door asset a great 3d asset and I just put the door down on the on the checkerboard and um, and it's got like a stone step like a foot tall stone step and basically I just need the two guys to walk up to this thing and I need Zoe to go up on the step and look closely and then I need uh, my character to go right up to the step and basically hold the torch up and I cannot I just gave up on it. I I just like, I can't tell you how hard that is using um, stock animations. I really, honestly, I can't tell you how hard it is. Now, my hope is that uh, with the suit, I'll just be able to do this, you know, which is like, okay. Okay. Uh 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 And then the other one will be, okay, roll. Done. Done. Drop them on the anime, Drop them on the characters, and get on to the next shot. So that's um, that's what I'm hoping is coming. Um, anyway, uh, so that'll do it for the uh, animation. Uh, for those of you who find this horribly boring, it must be virtually impossible. But we will we will eventually um, transfer most of these pop culture animation things over to the uh, the Stratosphere Studio. And we can concentrate more on politics on the stress for lunch. Um, let's see here. You uh, get to... The... Yeah. Uh, Wazard says uh, that uh, Doomcock's latest uh, video on the last episode of, um, of Book of Boba Fett was so bad it, it, it just... Because Doomcock was starting to come around. Um, but then... Uh, uh, Wazard said that his latest episode Is is basically That the, the final episode of Boba Fett Was so bad that he's off of not only Boba Fett But off of Star Wars um, So uh, I have not Seen that episode but He did contact me and I'm Hoping next week we can um, Get together and, and talk about all this stuff I told him The main thing is I just want to vent about Star Trek Discovery for a few minutes that's always somebody Who gets it Um, so yeah, so we'll start hopefully building up the audience on the other channel. Does anybody know offhand? uh, I I think it used to be in order to become, in order to monetize the channel, you needed to have like, was it 10,000 subscribers or something? Does anybody know that? (laughs) Excuse me. What it takes to take a new channel to get it so that you can monetize it? I thought it was a number of subscribers, but every now and then I'll see a channel that used to be running commercials, and then it's like, um, oh boy, Uh, uh, you know, there's like 310 subscribers, anyway, we'll see, Uh, okay, so, 1000, that sounds about right, if anybody knows, uh, that would be great, Uh, because I, I should have no no problem shoveling a thousand of you, find people over there, and that way, if something does go large, because I'm hoping that this will go large, then um, that that'll be all right. And I'm gonna um, and yes, and somebody's somebody's asked about the super chats both here and on the second channel. So Marusha steps up and says to receive super chats, you must be at least 18 years of age, have over 1,000 subscribers. Be monetized and eligible for live streaming and be located within one of the 21 supported countries. I think I probably can check all those boxes. Um, so, uh, okay, so I don't know if we'll do, um, I think that's probably what we'll do with the Stratosphere Studios. We'll live stream it on YouTube, and uh, and we'll see about that. Um Oh, there's one other thing. Uh, the very next thing, once these guys jump out of the other side of the vortex, they get into the castle. And um takes a huge chunk of super chats, like 30%, says Ian A. Little. Well, 70% of something is better than 100% of nothing. Um, and Bill, you forgot you lose most of those super chats to Cali Taxes. Boy, you guys are really getting me fired up here. Um, okay, so. Uh, the final thing, just animation thing, when they get in the castle, after they knock off these Egyptian mummy guards and read the door thing and go into the door, they start going downstairs, and the smell is really, really bad in there. And then um, as they get to the bottom of the stairs, there's, there's the, oh, it's the only time this happens. It's a voice. It's the voice of the castle. It's basically saying, what are you doing in here? And we argue with it. Uh, so uh, don't anybody tell him yet. Don't cheat it. But I thought, man, getting Doomcock to be the evil voice of the castle wouldn't that be just wicked smart, wicked cool? He'd be perfect for it. The voice would be perfect for it. I'd get a a lot of tie-ins. You know, and I just think that's the way to go. Um. So anyway, uh, I haven't seen any of Boba Fett. Uh, but um, yeah, so I think I think it'd be fun to do to do a, a pop culture show. I'm trying to figure out when to do it. Um, Mondays might be good, but there is a, you know, the one problem with Mondays is that it does allow Natasha and I occasionally get out of town, but we don't do that all that often, so we'll see. Um, okay. Um, that'll be fun. So, uh, with luck, by next Stratosphere Lounge, next Thursday we will have, uh, the motion capture suit, and hopefully make some much more, much greater progress. Uh, Marusha says I should also look into monetizing Twitch streams too. You get money from subs and tips during any stream. People can pay, comment, or ask questions too. You know, as a, somebody wrote me. A member wrote me, and I, and I hope very. I don't have to remember the name, but I hope very much you're watching now. And somebody basically asked about the super chats and has asked about them a bunch. And then they said, "Look, do you not want the money?" And that goes right through me, you know, because yes, I very much want the money. Really, very much need the money. It's just that. Um, uh, it's just kind of overwhelming in terms of setting this stuff up. And especially since getting sick, although I have to tell you, the COVID's essentially worn off of all that awful fatigue, pretty much gone. But it did sap a lot of initiatives. So, yeah, I just... I just have to sit in and figure out how to do it. But, yes, I'd like to do it. There's something, i got to tell you, there's something about Super Chats on Stratosphere Lounge It just doesn't feel right. And that's, that's, I think, probably why I've been dragging my heels about it. It just doesn't feel right to me. Um, I think I would much rather do, if we split them off and I end up doing two shows, then... Um, then maybe we'll do super chats on youtube because at least you'll know that getting into it but that way we can keep the stratosphere learns the way it always was and maybe one of the answers is if we can split the load so that all the space or whatever pop culture questions go to that show and we stay on politics here and hopefully i can chew through the questions fast enough so that we can uh, do a period of every show where i just basically take questions from the feed and you don't have to you know pay for it um but yeah yeah uh so I know it was very kind of you. Helio says, you aren't making anyone super chat. You bill, they do it because they want to. Well, that's a damn good point. Thank you. Uh, I have, a, apparently, I've got some kind of, uh, you know, Protestant moral block of making money. Something, you know, it's like, you eh, shouldn't charge people. and It's like, no, oh, you're right. I think I told you guys many times, for a long time, I just wouldn't accept gifts from people. It just seemed wrong to me. And a dentist once wrote, before I got the teeth fixed, in 2014, a dentist wrote me and said, "Hey Bill, I love the stuff you're doing, and I'd love—I'll just do your teeth for you. If you want to come out and spend three days in St. Louis or whatever it was, I'll just do them for you for free." And I just said, "I—I—I I, I can't possibly. It's way too much." And this was very early in my career, mm-hmm. and I and. And I remember thinking, my God, I couldn't possibly accept that. And then, uh, I think it was probably Jeremy, uh, pointed out to me, uh, he just made you an offer to do something for you, and you just turned it down, uh, you know, you, you, you just insulted this guy. And I thought, yeah, I guess he's right, isn't he? He's right. Um, anyway, uh, I think we'll be good. I think we'll be good. So, um... I think the plan will be to at least not worry about a third or fourth channel yet i'll put all the all the pop culture stuff over on stratosphere studio and including the astronaut commentaries if i get a chance and i'll probably double post those um Marisha said it's like the feeling like you didn't do anything to earn it i don't know if it's it's quite that that, that doesn't seem right i mean i know i do stuff that is you know means a lot to just people it means a lot to me too um It's the asking It's probably just a lifetime of poverty, you know Just, I mean, it's been certainly much better since I started this company But I think when you're just out of money for pretty much your entire life You just get so bloody sick of asking people for money And you just, just like, you know It's not so much imposter thing as it's just kind of shame But I gotta get that out of my head Because uh, it's a a bad block And I'm gonna sell this animation thing hard So, uh, there you go Alright, uh, yeah, and great point here um, Low contrast, Ben Rittenhouse, I think With no gift receivers, there can be no gift givers Well done, very, very, very well done But I am uh, filled with gratitude And I certainly didn't mean to offend that, uh, that gentleman uh, I just felt uh, was kind of overwhelmed by it To be perfectly honest with you Just like, my God all right, so we're back in, in woodchipper mode here. We're going to just get, we're going to knock down these things and um, and we're going to keep doing that for a while. Uh, so here we are at uh, BillWhittle.com and I'm taking them in order. And it looks like the first one is from uh, Grayson Beckman. What a cool name that is, Grayson Beckman. Grayson, you sound like the kind of guy who, who, who should be living in stately Wayne Manor. You know, it's got a, it's a really excellent, seriously, excellent bring to it. What sort of accountability do you think we should be advocating regarding people like Anthony Fauci and those who are responsible for pushing this lying dog-faced pony soldier onto the American people? My personal preference is the position of make tar and feathers great again, but I tend to jump the gun on such a thing, so I wanted to hear your thoughts. Thank you for all the work that you do and keep it up. Thank you very much, Grayson, that means a lot to me coming from you and means even more to me coming from a guy named Grayson. I'm not making fun of you. I just think it's a coolest name ever. I really do. (coughs) Excuse me. A lot of people are saying, oh, Fauci should be fired. It's like, no, 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 Fauci shouldn't be fired. Fauci should be jailed and and tried. And then if it turns out that the things that I believe are true uh, could be proven in a court of law, he's got seven figures of... Dead people on his hands You know I mean that's It's not a That's not a Oh that's great okay uh, That's not um, a trivial thing It's not like If And I don't, I don't have any real doubt about this But I also, also um, I also have such respect for due process And, and been victimized by lack of due process That I just want to qualify it. If it turned out, though, that the things that that it seems like he's actually done, he did. The minimum is jail for life. Uh, Minimum. And um, he's just... uh, Well, look. I saw a video of him from the 80s. He's got dark hair. The young, probably looked like he was in the 30s or 40s. He was not a, I wouldn't call him an attractive man back then either. But nevertheless, there he was. And and I didn't listen to the whole clip, so I don't want to state this as certain, but I would think it's 95% certain that that clip, in that clip, he was. He said that you could, this is the 80s now, he said he could, Um. Uh, that's a great idea about make Tar and Feathers great again, I'm branding that. He said in the 80s as a as a leading aids researcher he said apparently that yes it's possible to contract aids by standing next to somebody that has aids. And um that is not a statement that a, that a, a person could make in good faith if they had the apparent uh, information that Fauci had in front of him. Um uh, I, th- I probably told the story too many times, but when I was a limo driver, I got a chance to drive executives, and I didn't do any stretch limousines or high school, re- you know, proms or any that nonsense. But I did get a chance in somewhere around 90, 91, right at the height of the epidemic, to drive a leading, one of the leading AIDS re- researchers, medical doctor, and I told him I was worried about it, like everybody else, terrified, you know, and and basically he said. Uh, you know I'm like I don't know if I've been exposed and he said well bill let's make it easy for you are you gay no are you an intravenous drug user no you don't have AIDS because it that particular virus is so weak that it required a pre-existing immune system that was virtually destroyed in other words in order to get it you you had to have already had your immune system badly badly beaten down which in the case of the gays, was the whole, you know, hot tub bath scene up in San Francisco prior to the epidemic, and for intravenous drug users, just the infections they're constantly dealing with. Uh, In terms of, you know, here, let me just once again break the skin barrier and inject a whole bunch of bacteria and viruses into into my arm. Yeah, Mauritius says they uh, they consider Reagan a, a racist and they called him a fascist and all of that other stuff. And it, that was that preceded the uh, COVID pandemic by twenty years. And nevertheless, there are similarities between the two. Uh, the biggest one being how politicized it was. It they did not want influential people did not want people to think that AIDS was a, a gay disease and and I have no problem with with I have no problem with mitigating I don't let me rephrase this I don't want to see attacks on people I, di- I didn't want to see attacks on gay people because they think a gay a gay disease so it's a it's a genuine concern right but basically what they did was they said, well, if we're not if we're gonna do that, if we're not gonna make it a gay disease, we gotta make it sound like anybody can get it. And they'd find one or two cases of people who were heterosexual and not drug users who came down with it. I remember that one woman died because she got it from her dentist's office or something like that. But basically it was societal manipulation and they just scared the living daylights out of everybody, everybody. And, and nobody, um, Nobody said anything, you know, Ryan White. Yeah, um, so uh, this is when you start destroying public confidence. When you when you find out that they've lied, because they because they're worried that we're going to do something is that's the that's the root of all of our problems. It's elitism. It's it's uh, it's the people. Basically saying we can't trust the American people because if we tell them the truth about AIDS, then these knuckle dragging rednecks, you know, uh, will go out there and and just murder gay people. That's what they're that's what they're saying. Um, and that's that's basically the elitism thing. Uh, parenthetically, I was hoping to record this today. I'm going to come in tomorrow, Friday, and record it. I don't know what time. Oh, for those of you who were uh, regularly attending the, the morning shootings of Moving Back to America on Tuesdays, I will get back to that, and I, I hope I'm, I'd like to apologize for keeping you waiting if you've been waiting, but honestly, it's still been tough to, to get back on that schedule. In any event, um, this will eventually come around to Fauci. Uh, oh, what was her name? Hang on. I've got it on the tip of my tongue. Uh, Yeah. Uh, So uh, this week's Moving Back to America is um, about uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, Talking about Nancy Pelosi and her gazpacho police And I'm not going to be making fun of of her First of all because of Reagan's 11th Amendment But I'm not going to be making fun of her because whether she did it intentionally or not She put her finger exactly on it It is in fact the gazpacho police that's what it is it's it's the it's the attempt by the people that drink or that eat gazpacho to force the people that eat tomato soup to do things their way so the truckers are tomato soup people and justin trudeau is a gazpacho person so i'm going to call this segment um uh, what am i calling tortured tortured by the gazpacho because, because the, the, the gazpacho proud, Pelosi, you know, all of these people. You know, there's a little frisson of it's, it's chilled. It's not cold. It's chilled and it's, you know, it's not tomato soup because that's what, you know, the, the regular people eat. And plus they eat theirs hot, which is the way to eat soup, generally speaking. But we're going to have ours cold because we've got this, you know, this thing that they don't have. So it is the gazpacho police. She was absolutely right absolutely right it's the Gaspacho police and uh, and I'm going to just read a, a bunch of quotes from um, uh, a book Martin Amos wrote called uh, Koba the Dread Koba was Stalin's name for himself nickname for himself before he became Stalin. and I'm just going to talk about the living hell that was the Soviet Union and I pick quotes that should sound familiar to you uh, today so, um, you know, there you go. Uh, but anyway, um, this whole thing uh, with the elites basically telling us they they know what's good for us, and, and, and it's, it, number one, it's it's immoral. But number two, it's also wrong. You know, it's just they're just they they're just they're just mistaken, Grayson intellectuals everywhere think they're smarter than other people my experience has been that they're not only not smarter than other people they're actually far more naive and stupid than other people really so if all of this stuff that is that is rumored to be true is true and anthony fauci was doing research on 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 spike proteins and and splicing together uh, diseases that affected animals but couldn't affect humans because they didn't have the correct outer protein shell, and he put them together. That alone is pretty uh, hubristic. But then, if the United States government says no, we're going to cut off the funding for this because it's too dangerous, and then you take money and go around and give it to a private firm, and then they give it to Wuhan, and then that stuff gets out. That's not. That's not a you know, three-month probation kind of thing. I mean, you know, what's the worldwide total now? It's certainly inflated because of, it measures people that died with COVID, not of COVID. But nevertheless, we're talking at least hundreds of thousands of people died as a result of this decision. And and, and we're probably well into the millions of people that, that died because of this decision. Because he thought he knows better than everybody else. He's science. He's Dr. Fauci. He's the leading expert. He's he's the he's the guy. So that's what I'm convinced happened. It certainly is what the evidence seems to indicate. That's what the DoD documents that were uh, that were uh, retrieved by um, Project Veritas clearly say. And so you got a situation where a guy says, "I know better than all of you stupid people who are worried about this. There's nothing to worry about because." We've got this under control, and therefore we're going to go do it. And let's just see what the number is as of today. It's like checking the stock market. What's the date on this fairly well oh, it's an hour old global COVID-19 cases top 400 million deaths are put at 5.7 million according to the World Health Organization 5.7 million people died because a, a guy was told that this is too dangerous and then decided no, we're going to do it anyway. Um, so, uh, careful rogue says that Fauci's obsessed with the cure-all vaccine instead of the therapeutics. It's not the way to go about this. It's exactly right. That's the best spin you can put on this. And it's not a good spin. Um, the best spin you can put on this is that he was he was convinced that he was on the verge of The universal vaccine that would protect everybody from everything but uh, this is the this is the hubris of the intellectual this is why intellectuals are so dangerous and this is why anybody with real intelligence should recoil at being called an intellectual I like tomato soup I'm a tomato soup guy I've tasted gazpacho but I've never ordered it right No, it does not include that, Um, it does not include the vaccination uh, complications or anything. (sighs) Henry Lumley. Hey, Bill, the trucker's protest is not over and it's not slowing down with the blockage of Ambassador Bridge that represents a loss of over a billion dollars in trade revenue every day. And that slowdown is going to be as devastating to the Canadian and U.S. economy as the ship that blocked the Suez Canal. That's a great point. Also, with all the doubling down the government has done in Canada, this has come with the legal search and seizure of property and now, threatens to, and now threats to use the Children's Aid Society to remove children from the truckers and those supporting the protest. There's a little clip that says, Ottawa police say they have enlisted the help of child services, have not ruled out taking truckers' children. Let's make sure we just stop here and, and understand what exactly that means. A group of people who are protesting government policies has caused the government of that country to say, we are going to steal your children from you. It's one thing to hit somebody with a $50,000 fine, but to say, no, we're going to take your children away. These people, the government, the Canadian government's scared, and it should be scared. I think that the Canadian government thinks That we are gonna do to them what they did to us. And we're not. They're not, there's no, I've never, I haven't seen the slightest evidence of anybody saying we're gonna, you know, we're gonna lynch these guys. No, just, what I did see a couple (laughs) days, like, electric hunkaloo uh what i did see a couple days ago was that one one of the provinces alberta i think it was said okay you win we're gonna we're gonna give up the vaccine mandate and and i said my god i called my wife. said, honey remember those truckers i told you about she said yeah um it looks like they won one of the big provinces of canada they've only got what seven something like that um said we're gonna give it up you win and then I heard a day after that that they, that they were basically just kind of giving it lip service and then the truckers didn't back down again. Now they're talking about actually genuinely doing it. But this goes to the gazpacho, uh, uh, tortured by this gazpacho as well. These people, in in this moving back to America, I'm trying to make the point that the the. the, the the most shameful and embarrassing part of all of this is also the most hopeful part of this and that is that we do all of these things at their command which is shameful but they have no coercive power over us they're not the gestapo the gestapo were guys who could come in and get you with guns and you didn't have a gun so they just took you away like the nkvd and the kgb and the okpu or whatever it was the Cheka. When those people, when the Soviet Union, the Soviet citizens cowered before the state, they had a good reason to cower before the state. They were being murdered by, in in industrial quantities on a nightly basis, and they didn't have any way to resist. What's our excuse? You know, what's our excuse? Dave says, "What's shameful about this is that it's happening in Canada, not America." Dave, you mentioned months ago that the that truckers are preparing something big. I think they're going to. I think they're going to do something big. Um, but what happened was they stood up to them, and they and they got rid of the vaccine mandate. And if they're costing them a billion dollars a day and blocking off all the trade, I don't think they care about the money because it's not their money. They just print some more, just like our government. But but these but these um, knuckle dragging uh, you know savages that make up the people that we're trying to govern aren't going away. And that's it, right? It's the contempt, just the contempt on the part of the government, you know, calling them all Nazis and, and all of this stuff, you know. Yeah, and and, I'm, and everybody's commented on the fact, well, you're all socialists up there, aren't you? you? You know, you're supposed to be for the working men. Well, now it's the working man coming to your door knocking on there. And all of you very rich, extremely well, ed- well, well educated, no longer means that, uh, went to expensive schools, and all the rest, but now now you're suppressing them. So, um, yeah, so that's that. And as Marisha points out in the comment section, if if this January 6th so-called insurrection, if that had been a real insurrection by an armed populace, would have ended differently than having one of them doing the insurrecting shot and killed. Would have had a different outcome if that was what that was. Anyway, he goes on, um, even the apparent winds of Alberta and Saskatchewan ending the vaccine mandates, I do not believe it for a second. Alberta is not ending all mask requirements, removing all COVID policies, or even declaring the emergency over. They left themselves a backdoor right back into the lockdowns, and the Calgary police have once again arrested Pastor Arthur Pulowski. So any of the support, supposed victories of the protest are too early to know for sure. Yes. So they, you go there, you push them. They they fight back. They fight dirty. They say, you're stealing food from the homeless. Seems to me you're delivering the food, but okay. Finally, the pressure builds, and they say, okay, we, we, we cave. We're going to remove the vaccine mandates. Now you guys can go home. And they thought that that meant that they would go home. And then they could simply just, you know, not do what they said they were going to do, and stall and all the rest of it. But I said before that I think that November that uh, that November uh, was it fourth the election in November fourth of twenty twenty was a sneak attack like nine eleven and and like Pearl Harbor, and you only get one of those, so. When the next election happens in November, and especially in twenty twenty four, if once again we find that uh, I can never was it was a State Farm Center or All State Center it was the State Farm Center I think if it turns out that a major accounting facility in a democratic precinct says we're shutting down for the night i don't know if there's anything you could do about that but i do know one thing next time there's going to be a lot more people there and they're not going home next time state farm arena they're not going home next time if they try to pull this again they're it's like i said you get one sneak attack right Hours after Pearl Harbor, the radar that detected the planes coming in, thought it was an expected flight of B-17s coming from the mainland. And yeah, it was probably just the B-17s. But after, after they looked down and see the whole fleet on fire, then they got so twitchy with the radar and the guns that they shot down a number of our own airplanes. Like a serious number, like a dozen of them. Um, so, so the Canadian state makes a promise and the truckers don't leave. And they're right not to leave because they're not trustworthy people. They're liars. And they've proven it. And And they're liars by accusing them of what they accused them of. Uh, Bill, I would suggest you get some speeches put together again and get ready to start hitting the protest stage. Like back in the Tea Party days, the U.S. trucker protests organizers have claimed to have about 90,000 trucks ready to roll. Yes. And he sends a meme that says, am I out of touch? And then below that, he's got... Uh, uh, Trudeau and Blackface no, it's the truckers that are racist. Um, and then there's one of Homer with the mask. He says, the science is settled. Then he steps into the, into the bushes. 2020 midterms, comes out, the mask is gone. And he's saying the science has changed. He's wearing a big D for Democrat. I mentioned this in one of our shows um, uh, on the right angle called About Face. I think that was Steve Green's show where he's talking about how now all of a sudden the Democrats are backpedaling about masks and vaccine mandates because they know there's an election coming up. And they said, you know, well, the science has changed. And And I said, if the science has changed, I'll tell you what, the data hasn't changed. The data has been absolutely solid since end of March of 2020. By the end of the 30 days of Chronosphere Lounge, we did everything that we knew turned out to be true. Over the last almost two years. All of it. So the data was out there. It's not the science has changed, it's that the politics behind calling this science has changed. It's stolen valor. There's a bunch of politicians want to claim science. It's what the Soviets did. The science of communism, it's, it's a historical inevitability. Um, yeah, and Wizard said remember the California recall as soon as Gavin won re election, he returned all the draconian measures. He sure did. So, and again, if we knew what we were doing, if if the Republicans or conservatives had any idea how to fight this fight, they would say, well, Governor, you claim that these emergency lockdowns that you've just put in place now that you survived your recall attempt are absolutely essential to save the lives of Californians. So since you didn't put them in place during the six weeks of the campaign, I think it's fair to say that you murdered those people for political gain because either... You didn't put in place message uh, uh, measures that would save lives because you didn't want to lose the election, or these draconian things don't do anything. It's one of those; can't be both, and there's no other explanation. Just go in there and 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 kick him Why did you murder all of these Californians? That's how that's how you have to deal with these people. That's what you should have said to him. Somebody should have said, "Well, Governor, you you just." been holding off on these measures till after the recall election it's been six weeks now how many millions or hundreds of thousands of Californians died because you didn't put these measures in place that you say are needed right now and you've got them you've got them nope nope clueless uh, back to Henry again, I'm just going down in order I'm going to get them all this time Did you end up getting on the Doomcock live stream And if so, do you have a link to it? I did not yet, but I will put one up when it happens I don't know whether we're going to do He said that this week's Sunday night show was already booked I might be on the Sunday night uh, uh, Live stream show next Sunday But I also said, look, we got a lot of, of stuff that we really could talk about So we're going to do We're going to figure out a way to do Um Uh uh, more in-depth show, and I now realize that that would actually be a very, very good thing to premiere on the Stratosphere Studio. Is it just an interview with me and Doomcock for an hour? Might be the first thing I should put up there. That's a grand idea, and um, and that way he can link to it, and and hopefully when we, if I can get him to do the voiceover, he can link to that too. From Trevor uh, Duell. I I hesitate to bring this up because I feel the moment is long past, but I'm going to do it anyway. What did you think of that commemoration video my team at the 25th Infantry Division put together for the 80th of Pearl Harbor? I am one of the trumpet players in the group as a rank amateur when it comes to visual storytelling. I was punching above my weight class the whole time I dreamed this project up from rehearsing the music to storyboarding the scenes to standing alone on the uss arizona memorial got a small taste of the magic you must deal with all the time in la anyway i'm flabbergasted when i think that bill whittle has seen one of my videos they are it was astonishing um and i'm proud of the way it turned out and i'm even more humbled to honor the memory of those brave men who forget who fought that day it's just three minutes and 21 seconds long the first 30 seconds is our commanding general reading half-baked remarks pinned for the occasion the music is the theme to the HBO miniseries the Pacific and here's a link to the video and here is what we are going to do we are going to play this sucker right now so give me a second to download this this baby because it's extraordinary and I should have linked to it when I got it but I didn't Uh, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna do it now just give me a second to download this thing because it really is remarkable and you all deserve to see it. Uh, where are you? Okay. And we're going to do that. Uh, no. Uh, maybe. And then we'll do that. Won't take long. Converting. Please wait. Let's get the 1080. Download three minutes and 21 seconds. By golly. And it's an amazing three minutes and 21 seconds. And I wish I could have done it closer to Pearl Harbor, but, you know, better late than never. Hang on now. This uh, YouTube ripper does it, but it always sends you to some other site and then you have to go back. It's kind of, you know, that kind of thing. Here we go. Okay, what you're about to see is uh, a memorial service, uh, and the video was put together by one of our members who's in the live stream and is also in the, uh, uh, the uh, comment section at BillWhittle.com. So I'm going to drag this in here. I'm going to mute my microphone and, uh, and feast your eyes on this game. Actually, first I'm going to mute the microphone. I'm Major General Joe Ryan, Commanding General, 25th Infantry Division here on Schofield Barracks. December 7, 1941 started like any other day, but by its end, thousands of lives were lost and the world had changed forever. Eighty years later, the United States remains committed to a free and open Indo-Pacific region. On this day, we reverently recall those who gave their lives and honor all of those who answered our nation's call. Hello? Uh, That's just one of the best things I have ever seen in my life. Uh, It is just a magnificent piece of work, is what that is. It's beautifully edited, and it's beautifully shot, and it's beautifully um, conceived. And I'm ashamed of myself for not linking that earlier. I think it was probably because it was, I don't know if it was when I was sick or right after I was sick. But in any event, I will tell you this, and and I mean this from the bottom of my heart. I'm gonna run that every uh, Pearl Harbor, uh, every December 7th and every Memorial Day uh, for as long as I'm vertical. Uh, It's absolutely brilliant. And um, And I'm going to include the link for this underneath uh, this particular episode of the Stratosphere Lounge. And um, yeah, I'm going to put the the link in the comment section right now, because people are asking about it. Hang on a second. So um, here's the link for those of you in the comment section. I'll put it there, again, in in the YouTube thing. There you go. it's absolutely it's absolutely first-rate work you know I was watching that this time for the second time first time I watched it I was just kind of just blown away by it just kind of soaking it up this time I realized this is why we're gonna win you know this is why we're gonna beat these people Um, because we're just happier than they are and the reason we're happier than they are is because we can because we get sadder than they do you know I mean, the, the gratitude that is generated by this, there have been so many studies, it's just not even worth mentioning anymore that conservatives are so much happier than liberals. Imagine my shock. But one of the main reasons is gratitude. I mean, you know, it's this old saw. I first heard it in, in uh, the Narcotics Anonymous meetings that I went to for my addictive personality back in the day. but one of the things that they just would say all the time as a form of therapy, just so you would get through the rest of the day, was you cannot be grateful and unhappy at the same time. And it's absolutely true. And so when you see these kind of things, um, these kind of tributes, and you just feel the the, the gratitude, you, you end up in, in a weird sort of way, kinda, you know, happy. Not happy. It video didn't make me happy. What did it make me? Um, there's th- This is an interesting question. Give me a second because I want to get this word. I'll find it. I don't know what it is yet, but there's a word. Well, I can't very well say so grateful when I'm talking about gratitude. It makes me... A lot of words around there. Proud. Um... Yeah, I guess it's probably the best word. Proud. It makes me proud. It, it it just makes me feel good to be on this team. You know, it makes me feel good. It feel it feels right. I feel um, vindicated and 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 um, almost triumphant. You know, I mean, what a great team to be on. Who. Who would not want to be on this team? Honestly, every time I deal with, with you know with, with the, the comparison of the two righteous, very good, uh, but, but proud, I guess, it's just, you know, always with veterans for me, it's always a, just a, a, just another, I don't know, it's, it's, it's just always does something to me when I hear from veterans, it's a, like a whole other level. And um, I remember being at sea on the on the um, on the Aegis uh, destroyer, on the Spruance, and being under the sea on the uh, Pasadena, and just astonished, you know, that I that 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 I had a chance to do that. I mean, really, just like flabbergasted, because. Uh, The term the Navy uses was, uh, these are the DVs, the Distinguished Visitors. And it's like, okay, uh, let's have all the Distinguished Visitors in the helicopter. And I'm thinking, okay, you guys head on out there and then let me know when you want the rest of us to come, you know. Um, But yeah, it's just absolutely amazing. Um, So um, anyway, uh, it's just really excellent work. and, And I'm sorry I didn't promote it. Earlier and harder, but I will try to make that up as much as I can uh, Trevor because it's just bloody marvelous is what it is Okay, moving on. Oh, it's Grayson Beckman again. Have you heard of Curtis Yarvin also called Mencius mold bug he talks about an idea very similar to your Cerberus concept called the cathedral About eight months ago he was on Tucker Carson's long-form show if you're interested. Here's the link. I have not heard of him Uh, it takes an hour to watch I will uh, cue this baby up to watch on YouTube and I'll try to get to that as well Um, but no I don't know anything about him but I'm hoping I will by the time I'm done with this Uh, okay so thank you for that moving on Um, Ian Noland Hey, Bill, my family's an Air Force family, with my grandfather being chief logistics officer at Edwards during some of the fun stuff, so we've heard a lot of the old aviation stories and some of the the behind-the-scenes stuff with Jaeger and others. What's your favorite aviation misadventure story? In other words, not the heroic items that are more well-known and celebrated. Mine is the story of the Thunder (laughs) Screech, (laughs) which is definitely worth reading up to if you're not familiar with it. Well, you could tell from the fact that I started laughing when I heard the word thunder screech. In the 60s, well, the end of the 50s and into the early 70s, mostly in the 60s, uh, the United States of America did a, just absolutely astonishing things. There were so many experimental airplanes and there was enough money to throw at this. We were, we were trying to find out everything everything some of these things were were uh, just out and out failures some of them were tremendous successes many of them were implemented other ones not and and we just tried everything the most poignant story I'm coming back to the thundersbridge most poignant story for me, certainly, is the story of the B-70 uh, Valkyrie. Uh, the B-70, if you don't know what it looks like, I, I was going to say look it up, but why don't I look it up for you? Because you really have to look at this plane. If you don't know this plane, it, it, it is, I think, if it's not the most beautiful plane ever made, it is certainly the most impressive. Uh, hang on a second, I'll find one. 1920 or 1080, hey, there you go, perfect. Here we go. Uh, well, folks, this is the product of the United States Air Force uh, Research and Development. It's the B-70. Oh, crap. That's not big enough. Hang on. It was the thumbnail, I guess. You go away. And let uh, me find another one. I actually didn't like that view very much. I, I got, you, you really have to see the, the yeah, that's going to work. So, um, so this is the B seventy Valkyrie. Come on, good enough uh, for government work. Um, it was, it was a Mach three. Oh, I do that all the time. It was a Mach three bomber. It was built to fly at three times the speed of sound, and it was designed to operate in, in a regimen that I just love the name of. I just always loved the name. The B-70 was supposed to fly at very high altitude, at very high speed, and it was going to occupy what was known as the, the High safe, the high Fast Sanctuary. You, just after that big warm up, I probably blew it. I think it was called the High Fast Sanctuary. Um, somebody in the comment section will let me know in a minute but basically the idea was um, that airplane was going to live in a world where it was flying so high and so fast that nothing could touch it nothing and uh, that was the theory behind the um, SR 71 I don't know how many missiles got shot at the SR 71 I want to say it's it's like 500 or something nothing ever touched it because it was too high and too fast Um, but the B-70 was so radical and so uh, just revolutionary um, it's hard to see the Delta wing there but you can see that super long and elegant uh, nose and I've got a great story about that Um, but in the end uh, before I get back to the story in the end the B-70 they made two of them one of them crashed it crashed during a photo op just ridiculous they had uh, I think it was General Electric made the engines for the B-70 and they were just finishing flight tests with one of these two that they'd actually built and General Electric somebody somewhere said um, okay why don't we have a a really cool formation flight of all of the US aircraft that fly on these General Electric engines and there was a B-70 there was an F-104 pretty sure it was an F-4 I don't remember what the other two were So you got this big old bomber in the front. They're just coming home. It was the last thing they did during the day. And you got these four airplanes there. And and the F-104 started to drift. And it was an extraordinarily experienced pilot on the F-104. But the F-104 started to drift a little bit closer. And as I recall, a little bit behind, a little bit down. And then it got into the B-70. I'll come back to the picture here. You can see the B-70 has wingtips that that just fold down It's like an enormous part of the wing is just canted down because the B 70 is basically riding its own supersonic shockwave it's like a surfboard um, and when that F 104 got into that vortex it immediately went up over and inverted and the F 104 took out the, the vertical stabilizers on the B 70 and then the the, the B 70 uh, crashed because it was just you know dumb Accident, but dumb accidents happen. Uh, now, this story is not widely known. Most people know that's what happened to the B-70, but this part of it's not widely known. A uh, young engineer who was working at um, Edwards at the time uh, had been doing some work on uh, on the on the F-4 and its spin resistance, and and so on the F-4 had a uh, if it departed uh, controlled flight in a spin, it was deemed to be unrecoverable, and this young engineer said, maybe not. So they he went up with a pilot, and he was in the back seat, and they had a drogue chute attached so that if they got into the spin, they'd pop the drogue chute. If I recall correctly, they got into a spin, they popped the drogue chute, drogue chute, pulled the tail off the airplane. And the pilot, who said um, said basically, if, uh, if anything goes wrong on this flight, sir, I'll walk west until my helmet floats. Uh, <laughs> So something did go wrong on the flight, and I have seen the the, the Super 8 movie footage of a pilot with a parachute, carrying a parachute, walking across Edwards Air Force Base, walking down the driveway, walking down what's now the 14, walking towards Santa Monica, walking across the beach, and then walking into the ocean. He actually shot the movie of him apologizing because he said, no, if this doesn't work, I'll walk west until my helmet floats. Yeah, anyway, that young engineer with the name of um, of uh, 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 Bert Rutan uh, told me a story about the B-70, and it was a classified program. It wasn't as strictly classified, obviously, as like the B-2 or other things, but you know, it's still you know, it's state-of-the-art stuff. And uh, and Bert told me that um, that they kept the B-70 in a in a hangar. But because of that nose, because of the length of that nose, that unbelievably graceful, long, swan-like nose, they couldn't fit the whole thing into um, uh, a hangar, not into all of it. And so uh, Bert was telling me this story, and he said that the engineers at Edwards referred to the plane as, as the savior, Everybody said, the sa- you know, hey, you know, we're going to take a look at the Savior. We're going to have to move the Savior. And the reason they called it the Savior was because when people would come to see it for the first time, they'd enter a smaller room where Bert and the other guys were, and you'd see just the tip of the nose. And then you would go into the next room and see what it was attached to, and universally people, every single time, went, Jesus Christ! So, uh... That uh, is one of the many stories about the B seventy. But but to the um, but onto the thunder screech. Again, uh, picture's worth the delay on this one. When I say that they were testing everything, they were testing everything. They they wanted to know all of it, and and so, one of the many things that they tested back in the sixties was the idea. Of a propeller driven jet fighter seems odd but that's nevertheless what they decided to try and do to see if they could figure out a way to get a propeller driven jet fighter and that's what they built they built the uh, Republic XF 84 H thunderscreech which looks like this hey look at that it's a modern-day fighter with a propeller in the front, and I'm sure you're getting some jet exhaust out there as well, but basically it's a turboprop. Now, turboprops are a great idea. Most of these, uh, anytime you see a propeller on an airplane today, and for any kind of commercial airliner, you see a propeller on it, it's a turboprop. It's essentially a jet engine with a propeller attached to the front, and you get all of the reliability uh, benefits of a a gas turbine engine, of a jet engine. So it's basically just one moving part. Now, back in, in the... 40s and so on, that they were using pistons and a Wright cyclone engine that powered like the, I want to say like the B-17s or certainly B-29s, had something like each engine had something like 2,000 moving parts and they were always breaking down, but they decide, okay, so we're going to use like a turboprop and we're going to use a, a propeller driven jet engine, a jet airplane. We'll see how it works, because there are some advantages, some, some um, efficiency advantages to that, especially before the high bypass engines. So they decided to make this plane called the uh, Thunderscreech. Now you can see from the blur that the propeller is very, very short on this. And the reason I guess it's so short was because it was under such strain, the RPMs were so high that the thing would have just disintegrated if they made it any bigger. But because the propeller was so short in terms of its blade length, it had to be rotating very, 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 very fast. How fast was it? Uh, was it um, rotating? You may ask. Well, I don't know what the uh, what the actual RPMs were, but I do know this: the tips of the propeller blade were going so fast that the the tips were supersonic. And so, when the thunder screech came up to speed, it was generating a four-bladed prop on that. Maybe I think it was a four-bladed prop. I Three-bladed. Looks like three-bladed. Yes, three-bladed prop. Here's the prop. So you can see you've got this super stubby little prop, right? Just kind of like a almost like a toy. There you go. There's the there's the prop. You can see the length of the blades, right? There's a very short blade length. And it's short because it's under incredible stress and it has to, you know, just the load on this thing's amazing. But because the prop was spinning so fast the tips of those blades were supersonic and that meant that when it was running the thunder screech was so loud that it incapacitated people Um, it it incapacitated them. There's a story about a guy who was in a, a, a maintenance officer, I want to say an Air Force sergeant, who was in the interior of another plane parked down the ramp and he he was in this thing when they fired up the Thunder screech and it was so loud that he started vomiting and 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 headaches and nausea and all the rest of it (laughs) I don't know what it is about the Thunder screech that that gives me such a warm feeling It was never put into place obviously but truthfully now this airplane was so was so loud that it, it that you couldn't have crew members in the open when it was running because the because the sound, which I want how loud was it like one hundred and forty decibels or some insane thing like that. Uh, hang on. Supersonic propeller, uh, I, I got to find out now, I got a noise. Hang on, let me put on my uh, reading spectacles, I'll put you back to the uh, thunderscreech uh, here. There we go. Uh, noise. Uh, from Wikipedia, the XF-84H was almost certainly the loudest aircraft ever built, earning the nickname thunderscreech as well as the mighty earbanger. On ground runups the prototypes could reportedly be heard twenty five miles away looking for so it's got a sonic boom and shock waves coming off of it constantly three three of them in perpetual just perpetually creating sonic booms uh, I did find out once uh, where the actual what the actual decibels I'm going to find it too because it's a it's an incredible number Uh... How this is what the internet is really amazing for how loud was the thunder screech give me a number here so i don't have to read everything oh here's a good picture of it Which I can't seem to get to. Somebody's probably already put it in there. Uh, The tips were moving at Mach 1.18. I don't know. Was originally going to be called the Thunderbolt, the Thunder Jet, the Thunder Streak, and the Thunder Flash. They called it the Thunder Screech once they fired that thing up. You'd hear it 25 miles away. Uh, it wasn't anything good to fly either. I can't seem to find it. But we got a whole bunch of people in the uh, in the hive mind out there, so somebody might have uh, actually come up with it already. Uh, in any event, yes, the Thunder Screech uh, was. One of the stories at Edwards Air Force Base that made Edwards, uh, Edwards, um, and uh, and I just, I just love the fact that that you could do something like that. I, I love the thunder screech in the same way. We did a we did a right angle about this back in the day. I mean, this was way back in the day, but I love the thunder screech the same way I love the guy who built the jet powered outhouse. You know. There's a guy out there who built a jet-powered outhouse. He really did. It's it's an outhouse with a jet engine on it. And you know why he built the the jet-powered outhouse? You know, you want to know the reason why? The reason he did it was because he wanted to and he could. That's what a free country is all about. And I'm not joking either, and I'm not being sarcastic or arch. The genius of a free country is that you can have somebody with the engineering skill and enough of his own money, his own money, to go out and do something as completely romantic and, and, and frivolous and wonderful as building a jet-powered outhouse. How do you beat a country that has guys that build jet-powered outhouses for fun in their spare time using their own money? You can't. Um, so, anyway, thank you very much for that, Ian. Uh, here's uh, Marusha in the comment section at uh, billwilder.com. Let's see what we got. You got two of them? Oh, uh, wait a minute. Oh, you, you returned. You, apparently, Marusha spent some time in the Wuhan Weight Loss Clinic as well. Uh, sorry to hear that. Wasn't much fun, was it? Um, uh, so, the question is Bill, I was wondering if you had any thoughts on the Chinese Lunar New Year, which just occurred on February 1st this year is the year of the tiger which is said to symbolize courage positivity ferocity toughness ferocity toughness and the overcoming of evil not sure about you but I personally get the sense that big things will be happening in the coming year go get them tiger amen uh, uh, I have the tiger come November and um, and beyond that um, I don't really know what to say. I think that uh, our our friends on the other side of the political spectrum are going to be badly mauled, 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 uh, and couldn't happen to nicer people. Um, So I did not know it was the year of the tiger. I do remember eye of the tiger. Which was playing much more than I thought it should have played, but nevertheless, there you go. Uh, so he he hey he, he ho ho. Uh, I'm gonna refresh this page here. Now we're going to um, we're going to Facebook. By God, because we wood chipped our way through the Billwittle.com section. Mm, oh, we got here. Thirteen comments, and this time instead of most relevant, I'm gonna put in all comments. Don McNair. Hello, Bill from the UK. Hello, Don. I'm from the UK. Um. Uh, did I miss one from Wizard? Okay. Alright. I apparently missed one from Wizard. Let me let me look. me Grayson. Grayson. Apparently. Lee, Trevor. Grayson. Ian. Marusha. Marusha. Uh, I don't see it I will refresh At BillWhittle.com I'm looking at the top here Uh, This is the instructions Here's one from Grayson What do you think about Fauci? Talked about him Truckers from Henry Lundley Talked about him Henry, did you get the Doomcock livestream? Talked about that we talked about Trevor and his incredible video, which we played. We talked about Curtis Yarvin, who I've not heard of yet, but I'm looking forward to seeing. Talked about the Air Force family at Edwards and, and all of Edwards. Talked about Chinese New Year. Okay, here they are. They weren't there before. My apologies. It's one from Eduardo and one from Marusha. Okay, so two more to go there. Uh, from Eduardo. Uh, greetings, Bill. Wazard13 here, still aspiring to move to the red U.S. I recently watched Sargon's video about 59% of Democrats supporting all this insanity and being completely in favor of tyrannical measures linked below. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure they do. They, they, uh, Mike, Mark Dice will go out on Santa Monica Boardwalk and say, do you think that people who aren't vaccinated should be put in prison? Most, I don't know how much of it he edits. But, um, you know, a lot of them say, yeah, absolutely. Um, And that finally got me to ask this. If those people are vaccinated for cognition and are immune to reasoning and facts, then what do we do with them? Sure, I wish you could trade them for people like me over there, me too. Uh, But the reality is, what is a solution to the existence of these people that are determined to destroy our freedoms and rule over us no matter what? They certainly have a final solution to us, but we won't stoop down to that level, so what are we to do? Uh, okay Uh, this afternoon we shot um, as usual we shot our uh, Virtue Signal show and uh, the first one was a member suggestion and it was um, it was uh, malice or stupidity Harmon's razor I think never attribute to malice what can be explained by mere stupidity and so what I tried to talk to Zoe about was what's the difference and and how do you think it breaks out in other words I think that uh, that Fauci is malicious but I think that the people that listen to him are not necessarily malicious I'm sure most of them are not I think they're just not stupid even they're just ignorant they've never heard anything else Hanlon's razor so I I am utterly convinced and and I have never had an exception to this, whenever I've had a chance to talk to liberals in person, it takes me about three and a half, four minutes to flip them completely. And, and, and that tells me something. Um, it tells me that the vast majority, the huge majority of these people are not malicious, they're just ignorant, they're, they're uninformed. And, and since they're uninformed and misinformed by the people whose job it is to inform people, they don't know that they're misinformed if you hear the same story coming out of CNN, ABC News, NBC News, CBS News, and somebody else is telling you no that's not true, it's perfectly reasonable to think that that person is a conspiracy loon. How else would you know? Um, But, the good thing about that is since they're so badly informed you can actually win almost all of them over. So. Now, I'm not gonna say that's easy, and by the way, when you tell somebody a lie long enough, you build up a level of resentment and hatred that is virtually impossible to, to tear down, and that's why I don't wanna to waste too much time with them. I'm more concerned with trying to prevent people from going down that road than recover the ones that have already done it. But um, what are we to do? Well, we're to, we, have to, we have to fight back. When I say fight back, this is the difference between us. I would like to see these ideas go away But I don't need to see these ideas go away. I just need them to stop messing around with my life and with the lives of other people that don't want them messing around with. They can believe whatever they want to. I don't care. But what they believe is, is that they believe that they can tell me what to believe, and that's where we have a problem. Um, So we don't have the the religious fervor that they have. I was talking about this. uh, I mentioned the uh, moving back to America thing called uh, the... um, Tortured by the gaspaso, gas gas gasp- You know what I mean. And I and I took a quote from uh, f- took a bunch of quotes from this book called *Coba uh, the Dread*. Um, but there's one that just had something to do with that. Uh, yeah, here it is. I think this one I was thinking of. Yes. So in writing in this book, um, Mark Namus talks about the time when Nikita Khrushchev, as a young secretary, uh, a big up-and-comer who would eventually become one of the uh, leaders of the Soviet Union, but when he was younger, Nikita Khrushchev exclaimed enthusiastically, a Bolshevik is someone who feels himself to be a Bolshevik even while sleeping, to which Amos replies, quote, but that's what they want, the believers, the steely ones, that's what they live for, the politicization of sleep. They want politics to be going on everywhere all the time, politics permanent and circumambient. They want the ubiquitization of politics. They want the politicization of sleep. That's it. To put it in a little more modern terms, their attitude is if if somebody's happy then then nobody's happy. Uh, and so you can't you can't reason with these people. There's another quote that I'm putting in this thing uh, about reason. and this is um, this is Kingsley, this is Martin Amos talking about his father, Kingsley Amos, who was a more famous writer than Martin is and kingsley amos growing up in the 20s and so on was a when he first went to college he was a he was a communist a staunch communist member of the communist party kind of communist and you can almost write those people a pass because nobody knew what was going on the murdering hadn't really happened yet and so on the show trials and all the rest of it now as it turns out kingsley amos was one of those people that woke up kingsley was one of those people who said um hey uh, this is really evil. But here's a quote from the book where Kingsley Amos is talking about what what the emotional investment was back when he was a communist, after he woke up. Uh, All right, here we go. Speaking of when he was a communist and and, and what drives it, this is Kingsley Amos speaking now, quote, we're dealing with a conflict of feeling and intelligence, a form of willful self-deception, whereby a part of the mind knows full well that its overall belief is false or wicked, but the emotional need to believe is so strong that that knowledge remains, as it were, insisted, not insisted upon, insisted, enclosed in a cyst, Isolated, powerless, to influence word or deed. That's a great word. Insisted, uh, enclosed in a cyst. This is what they do with 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 news that that goes against what they've heard. So if ABC, NBC, CBS, uh, MSNBC, uh, CNN are all telling them one thing, and Fox News is telling them something else, then you hear this all the time. Then they say, like, <laughs> "That's Fox News." That's insisted they have taken Fox News and put a cyst around it. And putting a cyst around something is what your body does when there's a foreign object in your body and, and you can't get rid of it like a piece of shrapnel or something. It'll wrap it up in in like scar tissue and, and fat kind of thing like that. And, and then, okay, then you know, better to not have it, but if we're going to have it, let's just wrap it up and keep it as safe as possible. It isolates it. And that's what they've done with any, uh, you know, contravening information. They've Insisted it. They basically said, "Oh, it came from Fox News, or or that came from you know Daily Wire, or Crowder's talking about that." Or it's all been debunked. Well, well, that way they don't have to deal with the fact of what he was talking about, and that is the difference between what your intelligence is telling you is true, versus what your what you're so determined to believe that that you will go into involuntary or voluntary doublethink, where you believe two conflicting things at the same time. Um, so. Anyway, there's that. Uh, and then there's another question from Marusha, and I think that'll do it. Uh, hey, Bill, any thoughts on Sleepy Joe handling handing out crack pipes to the black community, quote, for racial equity, unquote? I think that has been generating enough heat and froth that they've basically um, backed up on this. By the way, in the live stream uh, Eric Blake says it's all been debunked when better question is it's all been debunked by whom that's really the genius of what they've done you know is they've said no the independent fact checkers have proven this to be false that's a great 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 brilliant. it's actually a brilliant piece of propaganda who pays for these independent fact checkers they do how many people are on the staff of the independent fact checkers the ones I checked uh, PolitiFact two and one of them is in, a, in an apartment in Copenhagen, I think. Uh, and the other one used to be a producer at CNN. But it's been proven to be false by independent fact checkers. That's a lie that kind of brings its own tale with it. Anyway, back to the question. Guess we know where Hunter's art money went. Does the big guy get 10%? Anyway, unhinged Harris in her continuing effort to help black youths into prison, well played, was the tiebreaker on this bill. Meanwhile, BLM's under huge investigation at, at the risk of losing all their assets with the donors having to foot the bill. The memes of this are great, but not as great as the Snopes article trying to debunk the crack pipe claim. I kid you not, their claim is that it's mostly false because he did other things too. Here's the link if you want to see it. Uh, looks like a Twitter, it looks like a tweet from a guy named Josiah Neely, where uh, where basically, was it Snopes? Yeah. Snopes says it's mostly false and Josiah Needley says uh, it's mostly false because it's completely true. And I've seen this many times too on Snopes and other things where they basically say, well, no, it's not true, although this, 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 and this part of it are true. But this one little tiny thing that has really nothing to do with it, that's not true, so therefore, um, not true. So. you know, in the grand scheme of thing, handing out crack pipes is is not uh, a, a, a is is not a existential threat threat to the republic. Uh, Thirty trillion dollar debt is. Uh, the argument has always been, uh, at least with heroin was that people are going to do heroin one way or another. And they're either going to use clean needles or dirty needles. Might as well use clean needles, not only for the health of the of the heroin addict, but also because, generally speaking, most heroin addicts don't have an extensive uh, investment suite or, or top quality health care. And so um, whatever you treat them for, which is often gangrene, is going to be on the public diamond. So we might as well just hand out the needles. So it's actually a pretty good argument. Um, but the other part of the argument is: at what point do you become complicit in something? You know, when do you become complicit? And I think it's somewhere around there. Uh, anyway, uh, so now we're back to Facebook without without rancor, without without uh, the 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 wailing and the gnashing of teeth, because I did miss those two. But I missed them honestly. Back to Facebook, Don McNair. Hey, hello, Bill from the UK. I have a... Hello, Don. And uh, I hope everything's all right back in um, back in old blady. Uh, I don't have a question, but I thought you'd like to see this. Saw uh, A tweet supporting the Canadian truckers, and he's included something. And, um, and here's the quote. It says, uh, The most terrifying force of death comes from the hands of men who want to be left alone. They try hard... They try so very hard to mind their own business and provide for themselves and those they love. Talking about the truckers, I guess. They resist every impulse to fight back, knowing the forced and permanent change of life that will come from it. They know that the moment they fight back, the lives that they have lived them are over. The moment the men who wanted to be left alone are forced to fight back, it is a small form of suicide. They are literally killing off who they used to be, well said which is why when forced to take up violence, these men who wanted to be left alone fight with unholy vengeance against those who murdered their former lives. Wow. They fight with raw hate and a drive that cannot be fathomed by those who are merely play-acting at politics and terror. True terror will arrive at the left's door and they will cry, scream, and beg for mercy, but it will fall on deaf ears. Um, the essence of, of this moving back to America thing is, which I might have said earlier, I can understand people being intimidated by the Gestapo police but I am deadly ashamed that we are as intimidated as we are by the Gaspacho police they have nothing on us they do have the ability to ruin your life and cost you your job yes that is something that they could do although if there's a bunch of you I mean I haven't heard any Canadian truckers singled out by name but they can make your life miserable, but making your life miserable is not the same thing as taking you out and shooting you. It's not the same thing as having your daughter put in a gulag and being told if you don't print this, then we'll kill her. And they have not had this power over us. They don't have this power over this, and they never will have this power over us because we are armed. And so what good does it do to protect ourselves from, from, from people with guns, so effectively that they didn't send people with guns they sent people with tweets and and we and we bow to them at least if somebody had a gun to my head I'd feel better about about wearing the mask you know so again it's just good news and bad news the bad news is they have bluffed us basically that's really I've never used that term before never thought that word before this exact instant but that's what it is they have bluffed us into compliance and and they don't have the means of enforcing it. And I remember this going back to April of 2020 when Elon Musk said, we're gonna open up the Tesla line, uh, even though you said we have to shut the factory down because of COVID, here are the total hospitalizations. Here's your projections that you're reacting to, but here's the total number of people that are in, that are in hospital beds. And since this number is so low, we're gonna open up the factory. And he also said, It was one of the most amazing things Elon Musk said. He said, if you have to come down and arrest somebody, arrest me. Don't arrest the people who are coming back to work. I told them they can come back to work. You want to arrest somebody? Arrest me. I'm the guy who's instigating this. And I remember before the next day, before the government had a chance to react, I remember thinking, the genius of this guy, he's called their bluff. What are they going to do? Are they going to come down and arrest Elon Musk? Is that what they're going to do? So that then Elon Musk can show this graph that shows just how much of a of a overreaction this whole thing is. He's they're bluffing, he called their bluff, and they didn't do jack, right? Didn't do jack. Uh, moving on, uh, uh, Gabe Grantham. As the world gets sillier, it's good to squirrel away some me time. I fish and build guitars. What hobbies do you and the missus enjoy? That's a cool combination of hobbies. I fish and build guitars. Um, my wife has is, is a superb world-class photographer. And when I first met her and when she moved in, she was saying she'd always wanted to paint. And I thought, you know, that's a great idea. And I really encouraged her to do it. And she didn't do it. F- We've been married for five years now. She didn't do it for al- almost four of those years. And then finally, we just went down to Michael's Art Supply and we bought a bunch of paints and, and a bunch of brushes and stuff and canvases. And she has become the most astonishingly good painter that I've ever seen. I mean, her work is, is abstract, but it's, it's so striking and so beautiful. And every time I walk past her, she's doing another one. We've got 60, 70 of them in the house now. And we love them. I love them all. It's very unique. And, and it's very beautiful. And every time I walk past her while she's working, I say, honey, how do you do this? The color, the colors are so perfect, and the placement of the colors is so perfect. How do you do it? And she's, oh, Billy, you're so nice. It's like, it's, you know, it's the same way you do your public speaking, I guess. And anyway, so she paints a lot, and she's very, 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 very good at it. Um, I. Do the animation stuff, which I find to be recreational. To be honest with you, most of the time, Um, and then occasionally I will uh, I will dip into um, uh, every now and then I'll 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 just crack out a video game and play. Now during COVID, uh, when when it was really effort to blink, I actually played. World War II naval simulator called um, War on the Seas And I played that I think steam recorder I think I put in like 260 hours It's 10 full round the clock days Because uh, the, the, the thinking wasn't going to be working So I might as well uh, Might as well uh, Go out and play the Guadalcanal campaign Which was really fun Really fun you set up these patrols you know you got to got your catalinas out there everywhere and you're building your fleet and you know you got to take Rennell island first that's not going to be too tough and i'm thinking okay i'm going to move everything up to Rennell island and then i'm going to build up Rennell island enough so that the ships can refuel there and now i've got these individual ships and now i'm getting more you know hit experience points and every time i sink one of the japanese ships i get more points and stuff so now i'm now i've got uh, you know destroyer escorts on these things and then i i put an aircraft carrier down, and that changed the whole uh, game. Uh, and I thought, wow, why didn't I think of this earlier? And then finally, at the very end of it, I thought, well, these aircraft carriers cost, I don't know, 80. Why don't I buy one of these, uh, the, the, the real aircraft carriers cost 80? Why don't I just buy a, an escort carrier, which costs 15, one of the Jeep carriers from, from, um, from uh, Taffy 3? You know, it's like, dummy! This cost, this cost nothing. I could have had air cover over all of my movements. The thing that was fun about that game was you send out these patrols and you get this contact and you fly out there and you see, oh, here we go. we got three battleships, an aircraft carrier, and six destroyers coming our way. And then sending in the attacks, the planes, sending the planes to attack was just really, really fun. Really, really, really fun. And I'm sure this is just a, uh, uh, I don't even know why I'm talking about this, but I feel like it. Uh, my hobby one of the hobbies I'm sure this is just a programming error because I'd never saw it in real life but one thing I learned early was I could fly b-17s from where was it I can't remember but from one of my bases it was a three-hour flight for b-17 so I'd send 12 b-17s the most I could send And I'd send them over the combat area. And I'd send them empty. And the Wildcats didn't do too well against the Zeros, and the the Lightnings did a little bit better. But the B-17s wiped them out of the sky. I would put a flight of of 12 B-17s where their biggest concentration of fighters were. And these fighters would come in to attack the B-17s, and the the B-17s, twelve of them in one spot, putting out a fair amount of firepower, just wiping them out, knocking them down. You'd lose one or two or three or something. So um, anyway, yeah, that's what I do for fun. Um, and uh, I took a look at getting into DCS, and I just realized, don't do it, man. You know, if you do that, you're gonna, you never, you're never gonna get anything done. So, yeah, sorry. And um, there's a sub su- sub sim called Cold Waters, which is a modern sub sim, which I kind of like. I had a lot of fun with War on the Seas. I really did because I know that history very well. It's the same history as you know Tappy Three and and um, and the Doolittle Raid and and all that stuff. So it was fun to command the Pacific Fleet, and we wiped them out. Now we really, really, really hurt them badly. Really hurt them badly. And we, I lost a battleship to a submarine, and then three destroyers, and I destroyed their entire Navy. I mean, I sank 60 of their ships. What can I tell you? So thanks for asking about that, Gabe. Uh, I'm going to get them all done, but that means another seven, so I'm going to have to chip some wood uh, and get going here. Uh, Bill Murphy. uh, Might be too late. Uh, Bill is a Californian resident, part of the money that... As a California resident, part of the money that members give you goes to California taxes. If you move to Florida, that tax money, significantly less money out of pocket would help fund America. I know we still have federal taxes, but wouldn't it be more financially responsible with the money that we pay to go anywhere else versus California? not trying to guilt you, but just another pro, uh, I guess a prod, to moving to America and getting the hell out of communist California. Uh, Bill that's an excellent point let me um, and 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 please don't take this as being flip or sarcastic or disrespectful but if you want to apply that argument then really I should move to Mogadishu because all I need is an internet connection and um, and that's where the cost of living and the taxes would be lower if I were to move to to uh, Ukraine or or Bulgaria Uh, a great deal more money that comes in would be able to go towards what we're doing so you know one part of it is here I am getting close to my 63rd birthday and I like living here Um, we certainly don't leave live extravagantly but we live well you know I think that's a fair statement we live well but not extravagantly Um, and and I like it here. I don't know how much of a of a burden. Look, if, if it's not California, it's going to be Florida because my wife loves. She's from Siberia. She likes warm weather. She goes swimming in the ocean all the time. So it's if if I leave here, it's Florida. Uh. And and a lot of people think, oh, what's the problem with Florida? It, it's not just things like the humidity and the bugs. It's that I spent 25 years in Florida, and I was miserable in Florida, and when I go back to Florida to visit, it starts to, it's like a cloak, you know? all right for the first day or two, then the second day, you know, by the third day, it's like, get me out of here, get me out of here. It's the smell, it's the temperature, it's the humidity, a lot of bad, 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 bad memories there, a lot of them. Now, in fairness, the last time I was there, I didn't feel nearly so bad about it because it was a free state and no one was wearing masks. And we were, in, we were north of Fort Lauderdale, so you're not too far away from Trump's actual house. So Trump is, uh, is, is it. Um, uh, now I'd said before the main reason it goes because of my hair. Because if I go back to humid Florida, I just wear a pom-pom. Now 18943030 uh, says your hairdo is no longer a fair excuse. Au contraire, uh, the hair trumps everything. If you've, uh, you know, it's, it's the, this the hill you're gonna, I'm gonna fight and die on. If you went through life with with like ridiculously curly hair and you suddenly actually got a chance to have the hairstyle that you always wanted your entire life as, a, as, as throughout most of your dating career and all the rest of it, and you finally get it. It's um, It's a tough thing to go. Uh, so uh, I'm just thinking I don't know maybe I could get a bubble I could be the boy in the bubble in a, in a, in a in, if, I, if I could find a, a, a low humidity bubble roll myself into work and so on that might do it uh, there's no question that it's expensive here I I don't think it's fair to say that 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 money could be going to something else I'm sh- just treating your question honestly I uh, because, like I said, I don't think well. It's thirteen percent of income, but uh, with the exception of the animation things, look, it may come to that, right? It's not just it's not just twelve or thirteen percent state tax. It's it's living in L.A. is is three times more expensive than elsewhere. Now, my position on this has been. I've worked very hard and I continue to work hard and this is where I want to live. And like I said, do not live an extravagant lifestyle. Don't own a house, you know, we're renting a house. And it's a relatively small house in Sherman Oaks, but makes me happy. Uh, and and that's, the, that's the trade, you know, in terms of that for the work. It's like, I do the work and, and then I get to live, you know, in a small little house, where it's air-conditioned outdoors. So, I think the argument that you could live cheaper elsewhere and then put more money into the business is an argument you could take to, that doesn't just end on leaving California. Uh, So, uh, respectfully, uh, we're going to be here until we're not. And I don't know when that's going to be or what's going to be. Uh, I really just don't know. Um, anyway, it's a fair question, a good question. I'm glad I got a chance to answer it, hopefully for you. Ian A. Little, sounds familiar. As someone who's been on, who has been on an ancient Roman history kick for a while, do you have a favorite historical figure from ancient Rome, in particular the late Republic era? I don't know. I would assume he's late late Republic. Um, I have always felt a great deal of sympathy towards Brutus. I always felt that Brutus got the short end of that deal from what I know about Roman history. Uh, I guess you're reaching for Cicero. I always found, I'm not a huge student of, of Roman history, but what I do know about Cicero makes him appear to me to be more uh you know machiavellian and to the degree that the story is historically accurate uh, most of what i know about that is from is from you know either movies of, but a fair amount of it's from shakespeare's uh, julius caesar and that is not a highly accurate rendition in fact one of the very first scenes about about in Julius Caesar, is where they talk about a holiday, and they've got everybody throwing their caps in the air, which they did during the uh, late 1500s in England, but never did in in Rome. Uh, But taken taken at its cultural average of what is true or not true, I always felt that, that Brutus was a guy who had to who made a decision to do something really terrible for the right reason. And again, without knowing too much of the details, it seems to me that Brutus was the only one who was really morally conflicted about this. Some some of the senators were just too scared to act, some of them were malicious about it, but, but Brutus um, had a conscience and, and, and he struggled with it, apparently. You know, you've got this tyrant now. He's a friend of yours. I mean, e brute is Shakespeare. don't know if that was historically uttered, but nevertheless, he was Caesar's friend, and he did stab him, right? So, um, by the way, uh, a show I liked very much was the miniseries called Rome. They only did two seasons of it. It was out of route the same time as Deadwood. I liked it a lot. That was really well done. And they did something really interesting there. Um, both of those actors have gone on to do other things. They're both terrific actors. And when you had the assassination of Caesar, and he's just covered in blood, because Rome was, was an HBO two-season deal, and, and it was, uh, as usual, filled with all kinds of profanity and blood and nudity and, and all the rest of it, but as Caesar is crumpling and, and Brutus comes up to him and gives him that, that final stab, I'm sitting there waiting. Now when, now when he's going to say, et tu, Brute? He's gonna say, you too, Brutus? And what they did was, he didn't say a word, but it was in his eyes. So, you too? I thought that was a nice piece of work. I've always felt that, whenever I watch stuff like that, or, or Deadwood's a great example, I've said this before. Many times, Deadwood's my favorite show ever. Uh, it got worse, but I just I just loved, I thought Al Swearingen's one of the greatest characters ever made. Uh, ever. And all of the supporting cast was just absolutely top-notch and beautifully written show. And every time I would watch Deadwood, I would be slapped in the face by how much more powerful it is to say nothing and not take the easy line time and time and time and time and time again i thought somebody was gonna somebody said something and i thought here comes the rejoinder and they just didn't do it and i thought my god my god it is so good it's so powerful uh esap wants to know did i see the deadwood movie i did see it i thought it was awful i thought it was embarrassing like like matrix resurrection embarrassing in um, um, uh, McShane and elsewhere, Swearingen, I think that's just, I, I, that character is, is one of the best characters ever written, and, and Powers Booth's character, the whole thing, uh, Brad Dourif in that, in that show is almost unimaginably good as, as the Doctor, so it's almost incredible how good he was in that, um, and, uh, but Swearingen I, I thought to, I, I, to be perfectly honest, with you, I thought Timothy Oliphant was the weakest part of that show. That he didn't really have. I don't know, but you know. He 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 did the job, and I just loved it. Um, by the way, I, I think I mentioned this in. Um, when did I mention this? I did an interview today with. Um, Father McTeague for Catholic Radio. Um, David Milch, I think, was the was the creator of that show, and Deadwood, I think, I don't think there's a I don't think there's a contender. Deadwood is alone on the field as the most profane show ever made in terms of the language. It is the most profane show ever made, and I've had an ongoing discussion here with with you guys and in stress free lounge and in individual episodes and so on about whether or not to use profanity the argument against is don't drag down society any further than it's already being dragged down the argument for is this is how people talk now and 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 if you want to reach people who you weren't reaching before you got to sound convincing and so on and i tend to lean towards the second of those but anyway the language in deadwood is so unbelievably profane and there's so much of it that that somebody asked milch about this in an interview and what he said i thought was absolutely genius he said he said that this was a dangerous place deadwood and it was deadwood was a real place it was a a a, a gold uh, mine uh, i mean a gold rush town and for a while i think it was the most populous most populated city in wherever deadwood is Montana Colorado maybe I don't remember but what Notch said was really genius he said it's a dangerous place and there's physical threats of violence all the time and that the people who lived there used aggressive language as a preemptive defense in other words they go around swearing all the time to make it clear that they weren't people to be effed with and then the person followed up and said, did they actually use the words that you used on, on, on Deadwood? Uh, there was a drinking game for a particular uh, uh, slur that, that Swearengin would, would use all the time and just delivered it just so beautifully. Um, did they actually use the F word and all these other things that you put in the, in the show? And, and this was his answer. He said, no, they did not the actual people in Deadwood did not use anything like the profanity, like the specific words that we use, but, he said, they used the most powerful words they had, and that's what we're doing here, because if we don't, then when somebody gets mad, they're going to be, tell that damn man that 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 you know and and it's like he said it's it's it, by being by being historically accurate we're being emotionally misleading and since this is not a history documentary he's right they would use words like damn was would, would be a big thing bastard calling somebody a bastard was was you know was was pretty far out there and and stuff and um and if you use those terms today, you get a real, weak-sounding thing. And, and and as George Carlin said in, at somewhere in the, I think it was in the seven words you can't say on TV, he said, just how ridiculous does it does it sound to have a bunch of, like, Hells Angels bikers, and one of them says to the other, excuse me, I have to go tinkle now, you know? Um, so what they basically did was they... And I remember being so impressed by that argument, just really, really impressed with, the, with the, um, the justification of it, that they needed to use extremely violent language as a defense, but especially it. And, and that's uh, Ian Little in the comment section just nailed it. I'm trying to think about how to describe it, but that's exactly right. He called it profanity inflation. That's exactly what it is. It's profanity inflation. And here's what's interesting about profanity inflation. I don't know where you go from here. I think we've, I think we've maxed out. I think we're like a, a, an opera singer who's hit their top note. I cannot, imagine, I cannot imagine a world being more profane than the world that's out there now. I really I cannot imagine language that would shock me anymore. I really can't. that weird probably the first generation that grew up in an ambient environment of profanity that is that is impossible to exceed because as you well know damn used to be you know when when Rhett Butler says um, frankly my dear I don't give a damn that was shocking that was really shocking to people I don't give a damn if it was shocking to them or not All right, yeah 2030 says, hold my beer, says, fiery Waco. Yeah, exactly right. No, I may be surprised, but I'll tell you this. There are no words or language out there that I find shocking to me. And uh, there are certainly times when um, Mark Twain said that uh, that sometimes profanity provides a release den- denied even to prayer. Or delies- or, 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 profanity provides a comfort or a something denied even to prayer. And, and it's, it's right. Sometimes swearing just, I don't know what it is about swearing. It's just, it's, um, for some people, sometimes it's a relief. Certainly Mark Twain, who was constantly being lectured by his wife about his profanity, felt that way. It's a release, yeah. I get to I get to throw violent words out there rather than actually using violence, and some of it's just absolutely automatic. Uh, all right, anyway, um, so uh, yeah, so Brutus Ian. That's a short short answer to a long question. Here we go with Doyle's James Rigdon, another really cool name. Why do you and other conservatives I admire, Rush Limbaugh, Mark Levin? Thank you. It's quite a company to be in. Uh, Worship at the altar of Lincoln when his actions, regardless of motive, set the precedent for unconstitutional government overreach that we've experienced since the War of Northern Aggression. This is a really legitimate question. And I've thought about this a lot, actually, Doyle, so I'll give you the canned answer that I have. There is no justification for the federal government to go down into, into a state or into a person and confiscate their property. That is an absolute criminal overreach of federal authority. And so the question becomes, are slaves property? Because if they are property, like livestock, then yes, then the entire northern response was uncalled for you have no business coming down here and you don't get to burn my house, you don't get to take my chickens or my slaves. On the other hand, if slaves are not property, then there is a then there is a moral imperative that, it, that exceeds property rights and state boundaries. Um, as uh, Cody points out, the, the Confederates fired first, There was a lot of tension about who would fire first by the way it was a real real touch and go thing lincoln did not want to fire first um so so the reason that 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 rush and and levin and i uh worship at the altar of lincoln is because is because of the difficulty of this argument and and what he did to keep it together because if you're making the argument that the that the war of northern aggression was completely unjustified and listen I'm a kind of guy who's talking about I want states to, to leave the Union now. I'm well aware of the contradiction here and the, the the apparent hypocrisy of it but I don't really see it as hypocrisy I just see it as as from a moral sense, if Lincoln had let the the Confederacy go, then we wouldn't have had the Civil War in, uh, in 1861. We would have had a major war in 1920. Because there's no way that two groups of people as ornery as Americans could live on a common border like that and not, and not eventually just start shooting at each other. I just don't see any way that that would possibly happen. The Civil War is a political event, and there are laws that are broken and and, and all of these things that you bring up which is which is you know uh, legitimate, but it's also a transformational moral event, not just in in the history of our country but really in in the history of mankind it it, it was It was a, uh, uh, a a fulcrum, a spindle upon which an old morality and a new morality were were fighting for for dominance. And I think that slaves are not property, and I think that, that holding slaves was evil, and that as long as the Confederacy played by the rules, which were the rules set up in the Constitution, we will allow you, the rest of us in the North, to do this thing that we find reprehensible, because essentially, it's really none of our business. That's essentially, essentially what happened from the signing of the Constitution to the, to the secession of the seven s- Southern states. So, you know, the War of Northern Aggression. The South left the Union before Lincoln was inaugurated. Uh, inauguration used to be in april not january and by the time the, the election of lincoln caused seven states of the deep confederacy to leave before he was even inaugurated now that is kind of a case of taking my football and you know and going home the reason that they did it was because march was march march 4th thanks dave the inauguration um the reason that the South left was because they could see they were losing this fight over time. They could see that as new territories were coming into the Union, they basically said, if you want to come in Montana territory, decide whether you want to be a free state or a slave state. And they were coming in as free states, and the, and the Confederacy, the states that formed the Confederacy realized eventually they were going to get outvoted. And so they decided to leave. Um, and then Uh, You know Something horrific happened Really horrific Grant said I think it was Grant Said that the South And Robert E. Lee fought Valiantly and courageously And brilliantly for a cause That was absolutely unworthy of their um, Sacrifice and and their commitment Something along those lines So You know there's The reason I think that we respect Lincoln so much is that Lincoln was not just—he was not just to screw him, burn him, burn him to the ground. He wasn't—he wasn't—he wasn't, he wasn't the aggressor. He didn't—he didn't kick them out, you know. He had to—he had to deal with it. I'm looking for something here. Hang on a second. This is a shocking picture if I can find it. Okay, so, this is a thorny issue, I think we can all agree, uh, Doyle. And, and both sides make compelling arguments, but the reason that I think so many of us uh, admire and respect Lincoln is uh, because of this. This is what four years did to him. These pictures are taken four years apart. Not 20 years apart or 40 years apart, four years apart. Now, Lincoln was... Shelby Foote said that Lincoln was so ugly that he transcended ugliness and, and, and went into another dimension. Uh, Lincoln was so shockingly ugly that in, in Paris, when people saw pictures of him, they thought he was the mass murderer that they just guillotined. But the damage done to this guy is not matched by the damage that was done to jefferson davis for example because jefferson davis did not have much of a conflict about this the fact that he was so conflicted about it and the fact that he was so tortured by it makes me enormously sympathetic to him and and I don't think. I'll tell you what I think. If if it turned out that the that the Confederacy had just walked away, uh, and 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 let it walk away, then eventually the Confederacy would have split. Right. Marisha said, "Don't all POTUS's age rapidly?" Yes, they do, but usually they age. Trump didn't, uh, but but usually they age over eight years. This was three, three and a half, four, and they don't age like that. Um, so. You know, the the federal power grab was not Lincoln. Lincoln. It's true that Lincoln took a lot of power that he really probably didn't have constitutionally, which he used as commander in chief. But it was returned. You know, all of this big federal. Um, this this enormous growth of the federal government and the overpowering of the federal government relative to the states was not Lincoln. All that stuff happened 50 years after Lincoln, right? All of that stuff was a result of the progressive movement and the progressive amendments to the Constitution. 16th Amendment federal income tax, 50 years, 30 years at least after Lincoln died, and the, and, and the 17th Amendment, which eliminated the Senate as the House of the States, which which basically completely emasculated the states as a political entity, it wasn't Lincoln. That was progressives that did that. So when you're in the middle of a war for survival, and there's no question it was a war for survival, both for the Confederacy and the Union, you know, and, and, and again, to, in my mind, to his credit, he knew he was tormented by the fact that I have to do things as commander in chief that I think are probably unconstitutional. And I'm going to have to do them because if I don't do them, there's not going to be a, a country left. So uh, I just think that, that, that blaming Lincoln for the federal power grab is misplaced, uh, really misplaced. All of the things that are, that are a problem for us today are not a result of Abraham Lincoln, they're a result of Woodrow Wilson. And that's why I have a high opinion of Lincoln and a low opinion of Wilson. Eric Blake. Hey, Bill, here's something that struck me as, well, deeply disappointing about our side regarding the culture war. So in the main trailer for the Daily Wire film, Shut In came out, a lot of the reactions were, well, here's some screenshots of them. Seriously, how do we get our side out of the sort of mindset or does it really matter? What's, uh, what's the obsession with and focus on um, more strong, independent women make some manly films. Haven't you heard? Manly films are toxic. Men are strong, independent, and capable of things, and it's wrong. Reverse the blah, blah blah. So basically, Daily Wire releases a movie about a strong woman. I haven't seen it or the trailer, and we are reacting this way. We're criticizing this movie because it it deals with a strong with a strong woman, and there's, and so. I think I I get what happened. All right, so this is a form of um, insanity that is not only um, understandable, uh, but it's practically inevitable. Close the Facebook page. Let me just bring that back up again, real quick, because this is an important issue. We did a show. we did a trifecta show. So this would be 2009 or 10. And it was a trifecta show about a person who was uh, running a race. It was, a, it was an athletic competition. It wasn't a transgender competition. It was just a regular athletic competition. And I honestly do not remember whether it was a, a male or female, but the person who was clearly in the lead and who was going to re- win the race One of the other runners went down, just went down out of utter exhaustion. And the person who was in the lead stopped and helped that person, basically walked them across the finish line. She came in, or he came in fourth or fifth or something like that. So we did that show, and we did it because we thought that it was a a, a noble thing to do. And we got a lot of heat over that, a lot of heat. Oh, so now you guys are all suddenly communists. Now you can no longer have individual achievement. Now now this person's not allowed to win the race. They have to go back and carry this other person across the line. That kind of thing. We were getting a lot of that. A lot. Um, and that's insane. And I understand where the insanity comes from. When you've had people shoving something down your throat for so long that you don't want, you tend to gag whenever you get anything like that experience. But the entire point of that racing uh, analogy was was not that they were forced to go back. You see, that's the difference. We're being forced to do things that are against our will, and that's why we are reflexively against being told what to do. And the reaction to that was a reaction of, uh, uh, you know, it's a reaction of people that are so deep in their trenches that, um, that, that, that they would that they would think that way that, oh, this is just this is just you defending communism it's really we got a lot of those pretty much verbatim and I remember thinking the difference between these two things is one of them was forced on you through through coercion you were coerced into it and the other one wasn't and and I couldn't understand it. But i but i saw it happening and i've seen it happening and it's like it's it's a real danger to get so to be so defensive look i spend i make my living defending conservatism and conservative values so am i a defensive guy i'm defensive every day i'm not using defensive in a, in a perjurative sense but when you get so defensive in in the in the literal meaning of it when when your entire life is nothing but defending your yourself and your ideas and your family against ideas that are destructive and damaging to you that you didn't ask for when you when you are in defensive mode all the time then you can be i hate to use the word triggered i just hate to use that word but you can be yeah triggered into that response even though the stimulus isn't there and and it's and it's it's tough so while i have not seen the movie i suspect knowing daily wire that this movie is showing a strong female character in a way that a female can be strong in other words i don't think that in this movie she's going to go again i know nothing about it but it doesn't look like she's going to go you know flying drop kick the door down and then beat all these guys up and 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 throw them through windows so when you've had enough of these strong female characters like um like you know mikey spock from star trek discovery or or or, or um ray skywalker when you've had this shoved down your throat so much and you see a movie about strong women you just go god you know again again really from our team really but that that's that's not a that, that that's not a correlation i'm going to assume that it's that it's I'm going to assume it's, a, it's what I just said it was. So I don't have any problem with Ellen Ripley. I don't have any problem with, um, with um, um, Sarah Connor. Those were great characters, and they were strong women characters. But they earned it. They earned it. And the problem with, with these, um, uh, the best bestest ever uh, female characters that we've seen recently is they haven't earned it. Haven't earned it at all. What what um, what has Michael Burnham done to give her all of these... She's space Jesus. She's she's black female space Jesus who do everything. The entire universe turns around her. What does she do to earn it? Nothing. I look at... Look, my iconic hero character in fiction is, is Captain Kirk. No question about that, right? He's my guy. It's an age thing, younger people, if I'd been a little bit younger, I probably would have been Luke Skywalker. But it it wasn't, it was James T. Kirk. And Kirk is legendary, and Kirk earned it. As a great example of this, by the way, uh, J.J. Abrams, who ruined both Star Trek and Star Wars, when he made the trailer for the first of the Star Wars reboots, the, the so-called Kel, Kelvin timeline. The trailer for the first of the Star Trek movies had James T. Kirk as a motorcycle-driving, fisty, you know, blah blah blah, you know, you know your problem is you've always had a problem with rebelling against authority, blah blah blah, blah 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 blah. Okay, that's cheap and easy. There's an episode, I don't know which one it was, I don't remember, I used to know, but there's an episode in the original series where where somebody's talking about Kirk at the academy and they refer to James T Kirk as a walking stack of books. That's shocking to me. And I don't know I do know why they couldn't make the reboot have James T Kirk be a a, a walking stack of books who turned out to be an action figure. Because, and the reason is they don't have the talent to write that. They just don't have the skill. And and all of this stuff. You could have taken Michael Burnham with Star Trek Discovery and over the course of time could have allowed her to fail and allowed her to grow and make mistakes and then and then step up and you could have created an interesting character out of that. But they didn't have the talent. And they didn't have the patience. So... They did the whole Stolen Valor thing. Oh, she's Mr. Spock's sister, did you know that? No, I did not know that, actually. In the hundreds of hours of Mr. Spock material that preceded Star Trek Discovery, was not aware of the fact that he had a black stepsister. Uh, it's Stolen Valor, it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's a fat flabby mall cop putting the, the, the Trident on his chest and walking around and, and soaking up the glory. He didn't earn it, and it doesn't belong to him, and it's, and it's stealing. And it's, and it's evil. Marusha says Janeway was an awesome female character. I wasn't particularly big fan of Voyager, but I had no problem with Janeway at all because she was believable. And I suspect that's what this is. I suspect it's a believable female character who probably ends up getting out of trouble through, through a gun. And I'm 100% behind that. The reason I have such problems with these women warriors, I have problems, big problems, With anything that shows women either beating up men or or wielding swords or even bows, for that matter, this is is a standard cop-out, Is like, well, okay, so maybe the sword is even bigger than she is and she probably couldn't lift the sword, we'll make her an archer. Well, those long bows had a 150-pound pull, and you had to do it for four hours. So, the... The, the so-called strong female characters of, of the left are magical characters who can do... They're Mary Sues. They're, they're, they're magical char- characters who never fail, never lose, never stumble, never learn anything from men, because that would be demeaning. So they have superpowers all the time, and they're just miserable, horrible, actually rotten, stupid, boring characters. And if I wanted to goad people, and sometimes I do if I was confronted with a room full of feminists, I'd say, isn't it strange that the only really interesting female characters are written by men and that the ones that women write are, they're just awful. They're awful. There's a reason for that, by the way. Men are are oriented towards I'm, please don't uh, send the cards and letters in. I realize that when I say men, I'm talking about an exceedingly large generalization. But men generally are much more physically aggressive. They're much more um, uh, warlike. They're m- all of that stuff. And so when you see a woman like Ellen Ripley or Sarah Connor, you have got a male writer who understands what violence is and then finds a way for a woman to navigate through what violence is you never saw Ripley punch out anybody you never saw her go hand-to-hand with the alien never she used her brains and she used her and she and she had actual courage but there was nothing that violated like the laws of physics and or the laws of storytelling for that matter now, when you see when you see a, a five foot two woman throwing these hundred these two hundred and twenty pound security guards out windows, it's just ridiculous. And the same thing goes for women warriors. And by the way, I was looking at this the other day. Now, of course, you know, I, I do want to get on with these things, but I just this is actually something interesting to me. So, Warhammer 40K now. Now they're starting to have the sisters of battle. They have female space marines. I just, I just say no. I don't care if it's canonical, no. But what interests me about this is, for those of you unfamiliar with Warhammer 40K, which I've become a, a recent, uh, very big fan of. Uh, let me find one here. The idea is that there's a, there's a race that, that is that the Emperor of Mankind has created, genetically created, super warriors called Astartes, uh, space marines. And they are enormous, genetically modified, and they've had all kinds of implants and they've had all kinds of, you know... Everything they've had their DNA altered, and they've been given extra organs and all the rest of it. I'm trying to find a good image that's representative of uh, what what the 40k uh, thing is here. Um, yeah, let's see. Now oh, this will work. So uh, it's not a particularly pretty drawing, but it give you an idea where I'm going with this. Okay, so this is this is the 40k universe, and these are Space Marines. On the left you can see the silhouette of a normal human male, this is a large human male, soldier, and you can see how much bigger and more muscular the, the Astartes are and then in their undersuit and then with their armor on and so on. So when you start seeing women wanting to get into this Astartes armor, it just... you can have any rules you want to in a piece of fiction, anything. You can create a universe where you can have any rules you want, but what you can't do is you cannot break your own rules that's where it ends you can't break your own rules and if if the Space Marines if the Astartes are are the are the few survivors five or six percent out of the of, uh, out of the recruits that go survive the process then you cannot have female Astartes you just can't because every other male is a better candidate than this this is why when you look at combat units and, and the number of women who've tried to qualify for, for for special forces and stuff in the military, none of them can do it. And I saw a, an officer say it's because you put a hundred and twenty pound pack on a woman, and that's pretty much it. Now, you don't have to like that. I don't. Wa- I don't know why you wouldn't like that, but you don't have to like it. But there it is. It's the truth. And and what what fascinates me is the psychology of the women that have to have it. They will destroy a franchise and intimidate them into doing Sisters of Battle. Games Workshop should have just said, listen, there's the Sisters of Silence, there's the women are naval commanders, they, they function as naval commanders just as well as anybody else and as heroically as anybody else. To some degree, they serve in the Imperial Army, but they're not Astartes because they're not male, and you have to be male to be that big and that strong. Now, nope, they back down, so now you have these women standing there with the, and in fact, this is a great example because I've seen pictures of this all the time. You've got this male space marine who's gigantic, and then you've got a, a woman in battle armor who comes up to here, right, and she's got somewhat smaller armor, and so you say to yourself, okay, if there were no men, then this woman would be very powerful. But if you put these two guys against each other and fought each other, then it's clear this guy's just going to cream her in a moment. So, why build one of these things? Um, so, Marusha says if they're gen- genetically engineered, doesn't that mean that normal human biological rules don't have to apply? Well, the shape of the pelvis is different between men and women and it provides a mechanical advantage in terms of running and lifting and strength and so do the bones and the muscle density and all the rest no one is suggesting that the genetic modifications turned them into something other than they were they enhanced their maleness they enhanced their their strength their speed and, and their aggression so to say that you could do that to women Again, is, is, this is my point, why would you go to the trouble to make a female space marine who's going to be that much weaker and slower than a male space marine? Why would you do that? You would do it because some people cannot handle the fact that this is for men. That's the thing, right? And, and this is a bigger thing really between men and women in general, I've noticed. I've, my personal experience, and, and it seems to me to be widespread, but my personal experience is that women can go off and do things and men just don't care. I, I just don't care, you know. But if, if, there's a, if there's a women's only club and they're everywhere, like, like uh, women's only sessions in the gym, I don't feel like I have to sue the gym so that I can be part of that women's only exercise session. I don't feel that. But if you have a male-only thing, there are women out there who will absolutely to the death fight until they're included in this. That interests me very much. Very much. And I'm not going to get any deeper into it right now because it's getting late and I want to finish these questions. It's another three-hour show. But it's, it's a fundamental difference that I've noticed between the sexes, at least in this, in this society that 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 modern females essentially modern feminists cannot tolerate the idea that this is something for men only and the whole transgender athlete thing goes to this too by the way right i mean yeah, yeah. okay Let's see, what we got here. Roman history, blank. I think I don't know if this is the last one, but I've been looking at all of them, and so this will be the last one. Because uh, I last one I see here was Roman history. Oh, whoops, sorry, I missed one. Um, I missed one. Sorry, Mickey McGaith. McGaith. What are your favorite movies of 2021? Um, I don't think I have a favorite movie of 2021. I don't know if I saw a movie in 2021, to be honest with you, a, a, a current movie. The two movies that I can remember coming out of the theater impressed with are now four or five years old, at least. But I remember being very impressed by The Greatest Showman, and I was very impressed by Christopher Robin. Both of those movies had a big impact on me. Uh, I saw Dune, I thought Dune was beautiful. I thought Dune was really impressive. And then halfway through the movie, it stops. And so I just forgot about it. I just forgot about it. It just stops. Okay, we may make another one someday. It was striking to look at. It was really beautifully done. But there's nothing there. I'll tell you another movie that I, that I've looked at and watched a bunch of times that's not it's just a terrible movie. And that's Greyhound, uh, the Tom Hanks movie about the destroyer in uh, the Atlantic convoys. i've I've watched sections of Greyhound ten times because I love it. I, I, i'm I'm interested in the whole battle. I'm interested in the history. I'm interested in the fact that it's a Fletcher class destroyer. I'm interested in all of it, and I love and I love war movies. But there's no movie there. There's nothing there. That's a story. The character, the lead character, the, the Tom Hanks wrote it. He's no different at the end than he was at the beginning. There's no arc. There's no nothing. It's just nothing but nonstop action. And they tacked on a strange, strange sort of romantic little weird sort of thing in the beginning where he's kind of like I don't know if he's even you know, interested in this girl or whether she's married. He just, just had to have some something in there, some romance kind of like slather a a, a whitewash uh, coat of humanity or or something onto this character. The character had a tremendous amount of humanity. He he prayed and he he, he suffered and all the rest of it. But there was no story there. And that's what I remember coming out of Greyhound, watching it and thinking, that was really cool. But I don't know what I just saw, and I don't remember really seeing anything. So I don't watch a lot of movies... um, you know answer your question did i don't know when the um when the second set of uh love death and robots came out but i think it was 2021 so my favorite movie of 2021 was actually a 13 minute uh long movie called um snow in the desert which was a cg animated installment of uh, second season of love death and robots i thought that was really good. In fact, I thought um, that that story was so good that, that they should really develop that into a series. And it was just beautifully realized, and in the space of 13 minutes, they not only painted the universe in and made it real clear in very, very short amount of time what this universe was like, but that character was actually really interesting, genuinely interesting, I thought. And um, if you haven't seen it, I, I highly recommend it. But uh, I think that'll probably do it. I watch nothing but YouTube. I just—that's all I do, and I listen to it when I'm driving. Uh, So, there we go. All right. So uh, Eric Blake, and I think this is going to do it for Billy today. Uh, Peace and long life, Bill, and live long and prosper, Eric. Uh, So, uh, looking at New York City Mayor Adams, are you more satisfied with the areas where he is far superior to his commie predecessor? Are you more disappointed in his not so improved policies, like let non-citizens vote? B. I'm I'm very disappointed in him. Uh, if you wanted to, I, I look. I have no idea what kind of um, mayor Curtis what would have been. I suspect. He would have been either one of the greatest or one of the worst mayors in New York's history. Uh, but as an individual, he is one of the people I admire the most in the world today. He's he's in my top five. So, uh, I think given Slewa's history and, and what he accomplished, Curtis Sliwa brought law and order to New York when the government wouldn't do it. He just did it by himself. He got a lot of help, but he got a lot of help because he did it by himself. He just got tired of it, and instead of going down there and shooting people, he started the Guardian Angels, which I think are are an, a, a social experiment of monumental importance. For those of you not familiar with it, in the 70s, the, uh, the, the New York subway was so dangerous that you would that people who had to take the subway in terror would usually keep $20 in their front pocket for when they got mugged, not if they got mugged, when they got mugged, here's your money, and so on. It was absolutely, absolutely appalling. Little old ladies being beaten up for their money, that kind of thing. And New York City wouldn't do anything about it because they had a series of Democratic mayors and they were all soft on crime and all the rest of it. Uh, They also said that the subways, uh, this this is actually... Due to giuliani but um but when giuliani took office and said we got to get these these subways into in we've got to get these things into shape all you remember welcome back cotter at the beginning where every single subway cart has graffiti all over it well that's what that's what um uh, that's what he inherited and not only were they covered with graffiti but half of them didn't work half of them had doors that wouldn't open he said we've got to have these things They've got to look clean and they've got to work. And, the, and the, the subway people said, not possible, Mr. Mayor. I'm sorry, it's just not. We can't do it. So he said, you're fired. They found somebody could do it. And then it looks like, now it looks like it belongs to a real city. At least it did when Giuliani was mayor. So, Curtis Sliwa, this is years before Giuliani comes, but he's a, they're both a result of the same process. Out of control crime. Curtis Sliwa, Just gets tired of it. I think he was a, I think he worked like a manager at a McDonald's or something. And he was tired of these thugs running his life. And so he went to their hangout, walked in there, and basically said, first of all, just think about the the guts that that took. Basically, went into this essentially, I'm, 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 uh, this might have been exactly what happened, but essentially, he. As a civilian walked into something like a crack den which is gang headquarters just walked right in there and sat down and said look you guys are better than this what yeah you shouldn't be beating up little old ladies you should be protecting them and and the genius of sliwa is not that he recruited guardian angels to protect people from the the criminals the genius of him was that he converted the criminals. If you don't understand that about the guardian angels, then the guardian angels are meaningless. It's just a vigilante group. The genius, the moral clarity of, of Curtis Sliwa was that he understood that the reason that these young men were preying on, on the innocent was because they'd never been given a role model, they have never been given anything noble to fight for, they'd always been left and abandoned and alone and he basically said to them you're better than this and you should be protecting these people and again paraphrasing these gangbangers said well what's in it for us we make a fair amount of money doing this and he said what's in it for you you get a t-shirt and a a red hat red beret and when those young men started and some young women too significant number of young women but when those young men who used to beat up people now are wearing a t-shirt that says Guardian Angels and they've got their beret on and they're standing at attention, one on either side of every single door in the subway station, daring somebody to, to, to mug them, that is a moral victory of, of, of seismic consequences. It's astonishing to me how much you can learn From that one example of Curtis Lewa and the Guardian Angels So he was the guy who went down to the finals with the with the guy who eventually won, Adams, who's a Democrat. And if Curtis Sleewa had been mayor, I don't think Curtis Lewa would have backed down a bit. I think Curtis Lewa would have done to New York what he did to New York back in the seventies, and that is just go in there and kick ass and and basically um uh not taking no for an answer. Um so yeah, I I was, uh, I was very disappointed when Sliwa didn't win. And I thought, okay, well, he's a former cop. So, yes, of course he's better than de Blasio. But, you know, I'd rather have typhus than plague. But I don't want to have typhus either. So, uh, you know, there you go. All right, I'm done. Hey, look at that. It's another three-hour show just about. I don't think it's possible to get through all of these questions without doing three-hour shows. And that could be a problem because, frankly... It, the last hour is a little, little tough. Um, so, and, and Ian, a little in the comment section, of Life says, Would that work among youth today? Not only would it work among the youth today, Ian, it would be much more effective today than it was back in the 70s. Much more effective. These young men have no father figures whatsoever. Why do you think they play video games so much? You know, you play Call of Duty and you got the Sarge, right? And you, 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 or, or you've got Master Chief, right? you've got a strong male figure who's starts off saying, oh, you, you know, I mean, virtually every one of these call of duty battlefield games is you start out and you're the new guy and the sergeant, you know, I think oh, you're lazy or you're stupid or you're cowardly or you're weak or whatever. And as you do the missions, he starts to think more of you. And when the thing closes, you know, kid, I was wrong about you, you know, get out there and now you're, you know, a corporal or he's dead. Now you're the sergeant. It's all about, it's all about father figures and, 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 and that whole thing you can't take that away from people and and if you take that away from males males then you are either going to get feral criminals or soy boys that's the outcome if you do not have a man creating men out of young males they're either going to go like a pachinko ball they're either going to go into being complete soy boys who, who, are, who are just sitting there hysterical when there's a spider in the bathroom, or they're going to be feral murderers. That's it. I have not seen much in the way to disprove that. And frankly, I'd rather have the Soy Boys, because they're very nice people. They're very sweet. They're just not very strong. And, they, and, and they're a little hysterical, a little neurotic. We live in a very neurotic uh, age. CP Tomes wants to know how many Eagle Scouts are there in the audience Uh, who would not hire an Eagle Scout if you knew what an Eagle Scout had to do in order to become an Eagle Scout if I was if I was looking at at resumes and and I saw a resume that said Eagle Scout that's it. I'm done I'm not looking any further I don't care what the guy's background is I don't care what what tech uh, what software he knows, and I don't care how long he's been in the business. If I had an application from somebody who was an Eagle Scout, I'd hire him on the spot. Because becoming an Eagle Scout is exceedingly difficult, and it requires enormous hard work and discipline and perseverance and all of that stuff, and anybody... Oh, well, how about that? Teps 556 says, I'm an Eagle Scout. Any one of those people will succeed in whatever they want to do. I don't know if you know this, Teps, but for... for for at least thirty years I want to say after the moon landing, uh, Neil Armstrong who was also an Eagle Scout wrote a personal letter to every single Eagle Scout that that made Eagle Scout in the country. He wrote them a personal letter uh, which would have made my day um, and uh, both of your brothers are too that's a family that's had some family' been raised by by men. Uh, But when I heard that Neil Armstrong took the time, and and it was never mentioned. I mean, it's not like, there's another thing I like about Neil Armstrong is he never was, you know, glory hound. But every single Eagle Scout that that matriculated, uh, he wrote a letter to. Congratulations. You know me. He didn't say you know me. Congratulations. From one Eagle Scout to another, sincerely the first man to walk on the moon. So there you go. All right, we're done, and it's time for this board to go home and get some food. I was a Cub Scout. I was a Cub Scout, and I got out uh, just before it was time to become a Weeblo because I thought the Weeblow uh, neckerchiefs were way, way too precious. Way too precious. I had uh, deep-rooted suspicion of the entire uh, Weeblow um, ethos. What the yellow kerchief's not good enough for you guys? You gotta have a red plaid thing, really? I don't know. Or was this wasn't it? Was uh, Cub Scouts were two fingers and three for the Boy Scouts, I think. Uh, all right. Anyway, here we go. So uh, it's time to go. And if you haven't heard the news uh, already, this show's made possible by the members at BillWhittle.com. And. uh whether we extravagantly spend our money on California taxes Or whether we are uh, hard-scrabbling it out on the, you know, the streets of Manchester Or wherever the hell we would go uh, We're very grateful for uh, making this whole thing happen And, um, and thank you So that's that Alright uh, and We've been recording for We are recording, aren't we? Yes, we seem to be uh, Two hours and 47 minutes Pfft Short, nothing. All right, guys. uh, See you next week, and hopefully, hopefully, I'll see you next week with the motion capture suit. Dun, 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 dun. That'd be cool.